Coming up, a Megapod NBA, little history, some Taylor Swift, the Nuggets. It's all next. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer partner of the NBA. I love the NBA. When game day comes around, win or lose, this is the beer you want. Michelob Ultra, my go-to right now because I'm a light beer guy. Sorry, hate to break it to you. You know, I'll mess around with some other ones, but for the most part, really ever since college, I've been a light beer guy. Michelob Ultra, not only does it taste great, 95 calories, crisp and refreshing. Put it in your fridge. Watch how people just grab it. All of a sudden, they're gone. I also like Michelob Ultra because they're getting fans closer to the game right now than ever before with exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like signed memorabilia and courtside seats. Enter for your chance to win at MichelobUltra.com slash courtside, LDA, 21 and up. This episode is brought to you by Netflix. They say a gentleman always keeps his word, but I can't repeat any of the words that the weed-dealing, gambling, murdering aristocrats say in The Gentleman. Guy Ritchie's first TV show ever, only on Netflix, based on his award-winning film, The Gentleman Series stars Theo James, my guy from White Lotus, and a whole new cast of criminal lords and ladies slumming it in Britain's criminal underworld. Guns out, pinkies up. Don't miss The Gentleman now playing only on Netflix. We're also brought to you by the Ringer Podcast Network, where I did not put up a new rewatchables on Monday because we ended up doing the uh, BS pod with my dad. It was sad Bill Simmons and sad Dr. Bill Simmons. And we moved the rewatchables. We're recording on Friday and we're just going to put it up. So stay tuned for that. Friday, rewatchables. We're doing a James Bond movie. That's your hint. So there you go. Coming up on this podcast, so on the plane home from Boston, I did a ton of work on the NBA Almost Club, the teams that just couldn't get over the hump and tried to figure out, is there some sort of historical parallel between them that we should be looking at with the Celtics as they decide if they hit their ceiling or not? So it's a Celtics thing, but it's not really. It's really a history thing. I brought Joe House on, my buddy, my NBA history conciliary to talk about it with me. And then we talked about the finals, came up with some props with our friend Raheem Palmer. He joined us and uh, we tried to break down what we thought would happen in the series. So then as a little sorbet, a little cleanser, I brought uh, Nathan Hubbard on to talk about the Taylor Swift phenomenon of 2023. It's a good one. You'll like that part. And then finally, last but not least, wanted to hear from a Nuggets fan. So Chuck Mendenhall, who, uh, has written a bunch of stuff about MMA for the ringer. He's the best MMA writer alive. Uh, and also writes or also hosts the ringer MMA podcast with Ariel Hawani and Pizza Carroll. He came on to tell us what it's like to be a Nuggets fan and what the last, uh, what the last three, four decades of Nuggets, not even pain, just more like boredom and it was okay. And then all of a sudden Jokic showed up and, and everything took off. So that's the pod. It's Megapod. It's the last one for the week. You won't see me again until Sunday on this feed and rewatchables on Friday. And if you missed my thoughts on the succession season finale, that's on the Prestige TV. There you go. Let's bring in Pearl Jam. Let's bring in Joe House. Let's go. All right, taping this late Tuesday afternoon, 
Joe House is here. He was drunk four hours ago, House, but now I think he's like relatively sober, House. A little golf well, today for House. I, I'm more sober now, uh, and I did play golf. I, I don't feel like I should name drop, but it was with some very important people. Um, mm. But speaking of the, the drunk one, you said it's Tuesday afternoon. It's Wednesday, buddy. Like, you know, get, get, get <laughs> right. I know you're in Boston, but like, you know, I am more well, sober now. I'm not 100% sober. I'm a meme now. I, I, this is a great week for me. The Celtics <laughs> lost, but I became a meme. I'm so fired yeah. up. I love sad Bill Simmons. This is like I the best thing so that's much. happened to me this year. I, I knew you would love it. I we, we talked about it on East Coast Bias, and I said, he's going to love it. I know he loves it. It's the best thing ever. You 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 and Kendall, all the, all the greats. They... There was one picture where it was me next to next to really sad Kendall, and we looked like equally sad. And Kendall yes. had just lost Waystar, and I had just lost a game seven with the Celtics. I knew yeah. it was a big deal though, and both of my kids mentioned it. They barely know what I do for a living. <laughs> well, they're the like, people at school are talking. You're like, sad Bill Simmons is a meme. The, the big difference is that you didn't shit your own bed. The Celtics shit the bed, <laughs> but as opposed to Kendall, who did shit his own bed. And that was Kendall only like, shitting his, yeah, Kendall shitting in his bed was the Celtics on Monday night, and I was the proxy <laughs> of the yeah, shit. That's it. Yes, you were. <laughs> um, we're going to talk about, uh, I, I brought you on to talk about the concept of NBA eras, and then we'll do some finals in the end. But for the people listening, this is not just a Celtics statement. House is my NBA historical conciliary. We've known each other for 35 years. We've talked a lot about when we watch current basketball, how it relates to the basketball we've already watched, the teams we've watched, the players we watch. And the Celtics are at a crossroads house. And it's not just about them. It's about what do you do when your franchise kind of falls into this specific situation? So I went back and I sent you all the research I did. Like how unique is it to be five conference finals in seven years? What's that list? Or who's close to the list? What are the types of teams? And it's really interesting what the research says. The window is basically three to eight years historically where you have like on the shorter end, you have the Drexler Blazers who made the conference finals three years around 90, 91, 92. They made the finals in 90. They made the finals in 92. And then MJ took their, took Drexler's heart and he pulled it out. Indiana Jones, Temple of Doom style. He just pulled it out. He waved it to the crowd. Showed and it we never him. saw them again until the late 90s. They were That's done. True story. So so that's the shorter end where it was this team that was just really, really relevant for a short period of time. That actually, House, would you I mean, you you could probably do this, compare and contrast the Drexler Blazers to the uh to the Jason Jalen Celtics. Some similarities, like incredible talent, found a great way to shoot themselves in the foot at the worst time, lost some close games, a lot of coulda, woulda, shouldas. But, you know, we always watched those Blazers teams in college and we were like, God damn, Blazers, stay out of your own way. And they just never could, right? Yeah, and and I honestly think, um, and this is part of, of, of the bias, the old guy bias, but I think that that Blazers team was super talented. Like I, They really I were. Them, I would put them up against the current version of the Celtics and feel pretty good about it. Yeah, I'm with you. It was, as we've always talked about, that's probably the best stretch of talent for the league ever. That 90, 91, 92, 93, they beat the Lakers in a series, right? They they went toe-to-toe -to -toe in that Detroit Pistons 1990. They lost in five, but it was a really good series. And then, you know, they go, they stumble into MJ in 1992. What can you do? So that's the short end. The longer end, 
you're talking about teams like uh, the Julius Irving Philadelphia team. And then a team that I never even occurred to me would be a team that would be in the discussion, but it's the kind of the clear comparison the Celts is this basically 94 to 2000 Indiana team, which I would call the Reggie Miller Pacers, their early edition. So they made the conference finals in 94, 95, 98, 99, and 2000. They made the finals in 2000. They had a little bit of a reboot in 96 and 97 where they lost first round, no playoffs in 97. And then they kind of, they kind of kicked it back. They had three game seven Eastern Conference finals losses. And then a really tough 2000 finals loss that I think you and I both feel like that series has been kind of lost in history. A lot closer and a lot more competitive than I think people remember. Now, this is like Jalen and I, this is one of the first things we bonded on. It's like, God damn, you guys were like a couple plays away from winning the title that year. Like nobody mentions that, but. But look at that, though. It's a seven-year run, five conference finals, one finals, very similar to the Celtics, right? Yes, to- totally agree. Again, a-, a pretty deep team. I mean, they 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 really had talent, front court talent, back court talent. Reggie was the clear leader, um, but, you know. They're physical. They had the Davis brothers. They had... They could they play a lot of different veterans. ways. Yeah, there was like Chris Mullen was there for a little bit. They had Mark Jackson. Yeah, they, then they had play the a young- lot of ways. They had the young guys with Jalen and Best. So the reason they're interesting to me is in 99, they were they were thinking long-term big picture as they're competing. And they traded Antonio Davis for the number five pick who turned out to be Jonathan Bender, who turned out to be a bust. Now, I think he might've gotten hurt, but he was like one of those seven foot small forward guys. Th- those guys I'm out on almost instantly. Yeah, not ready. Yeah. Um, and then the next year they traded Dale Davis for Jermaine O'Neal to Portland. So they they were always like competing, but thinking ahead. Um, but when I look at them, that's a good example for how do you extend your window while still competing? And we've seen all these teams like just going through, like we'll go back to Philly in a second because that's the most interesting one. But the Milwaukee Bucks, the Don Nelson era, eight years, they were competitive, three conference finals. They lost three game sevens in round two. They were in the same conference with Philly and Boston. They did some stuff we'll talk about in a second. Uh, Phoenix had the KJ Barkley era. That was seven years. They made three conference finals in the finals once. They lost two game sevens in round two, or three actually. Um, Oh, two. And then uh, Utah was the other one where they just kept it together for 10 years. They made the conference finals in 92, 94, 96, 97, 98, made the finals twice made three round twos. They went the other way. They're more similar to the Celtics where they really only made one big trade, which was Jeff Malone and a first for Jeff Hornacek. Why all of this is relevant is the Celtics have to look at this and go, all right, we keep these guys together and we're going to get over the hump. But the entire NBA history says teams like this don't get over the hump. They actually go the other way. That the one exception was the Philadelphia 76ers who made the conference finals in 77, 78, 80, 81, 82, 83, 85. Eight times or seven times in nine years, they made the finals in 77, 80, and 82. But it wasn't until they made the Moses Malone trade that they got over the hump. My question for you, House, is it a Moses Malone type trade? That would save the Celtics. Do you have to kind of do what Indiana did, a better version of it, where you try to do your John Bender, Jermaine O'Neal while staying competitive 
but thinking like almost like a second era opening up. You got Tatum was only 25. You got a lot of time left. They're a younger team. The other downside team that would be possible would be the OKC team, which four conference finals, 11, 12, 14, and 16, made the finals in 2012. And they didn't do a lot, which I want to dive into, but all of a sudden it was over, right? KD leaves and done. And the Celtics are at a crossroads here because if they do the Jalen Brown and they trade into Houston for number four and all these picks and be like, we're going to stay competitive, it might be the OKC thing where it just never happens again. Or you try to trade, you know, some of the lesser guys, keep Brown and Tatum. Do you agree with me that this team is at the crossroads? I, I do think they are at the crossroads because of the collective bargaining agreement that is staring the entire league right in the face. It is about to be a radically different competitive landscape. And the particular challenge that the Celtics have right in front of them right now, which is why it's the crossroads moment, is can you afford to pay two players max money? And look, these two players, one, two, three, four, five, five conference finals. Do you believe in your heart of hearts that those two guys are capable of actually winning a championship with the right role player? So in this era, the thing that I'll, I'll, I'll put to you is what's your level of confidence that the guys doing the drafting for Boston and the guys doing the, the, the you know, looking at, at the roster are going to be able to grab some of the Miami mojo and find mm. super inexpensive players who can play meaningful minutes in playoff games and make a meaningful difference in terms of the outcomes of, of playoff games because that's the environment that I think we're about to be operating in. You can afford two all-NBA players, but that's it. You must surround them with super cheap guys that are capable of making contributions. And the window is not very, you know, it's not a long window. You're going to get maybe like two years, three years max out of these inexpensive guys. I think that's like the 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 size and scope of the problem that we're looking at right now. I, did you agree with that? Yeah, because you think two years from now, you got two max guys, basically, if they keep Jalen. You got White making like 18, 17, 18 million a year. You need him. There's three. And you probably can get away with one more guy in the 14, 15 range. And then after that, you're just trying to get lucky with the Caleb Barton types or you're trying to get lucky with your second round pick or your end of the uh, end of the round, first round or whatever it is. The White trade, if you're just going backwards and you're like, who are the unquestioned keepers? You would say Tatum and you would say Brown, you would say White. And then the rest of the roster is kind of TBD. And I, I don't like Rob Williams every year gets hurt. There's always like a different story. Even in game seven, it's like Rob Williams was sick. He was running back to throw up. It's like, well, it was game seven. Is there, do, do we have a lot of evidence that Rob Williams is going to show up in big games? So you start looking at these people like, all right, am I better off playing Rob Williams 14 million a year? Or can I do a stopgap? free agent center. And that's the other thing is on the market are going to be all these guys because the, the CBA, the players union is going to destroy the middle class. Basically you have a lot of guys like basically taking much cheaper money to play for, for good teams, which put, which would be an advantage for the Celtics, right? It'd be an advantage for Denver, a couple others. The bigger question for me and my dad and I talked about a little is just like, did he hit the ceiling with this team? And that's why I went back and did all the research because 
in a lot of these cases, the team hit the ceiling. You know, like Philly in 1982, they got their asses kicked by the Lakers. And it was just clear, like, this isn't going to work. Dr. J's getting a little older. We have a Caldwell Jones, Daryl Dawkins center combo. Um, we just don't have enough. Like we're always, we're always going to get overpowered down low and we got to do something. And the Moses trade stumbled into their lap. They only gave up Caldwell Jones and a 1983 first for the best guy in the league at the time. Um, Milwaukee was in a different point where they lost, you know, they lost in round two in 80 and 81 in game seven. They lost the conference finals in 83. In 84, they make a, a pretty ballsy trade. They traded Marcus Johnson, who was great, who was just an awesome forward, with uh, with Harvey Catchings and Junior Bridgman. And they got back young Terry Cummings, Craig Hodges, and Ricky Pierce. And they rebooted, and they were able to go conference finals 85 and 86. They lost a heartbreaker to the Celtics in 87 in round two, in seven. But And they traded for uh, Jack Sickman in 86. But they were on the fly going, we've hit our ceiling, we got to make a move. And when they traded for Terry Cummings, I think all of us were like, holy shit, they got Terry Cummings? That guy's awesome. Yeah, so that's... he'd only been in the league for like a year. Um, then you look at a team like Phoenix. So they had the, before they got Barkley, they made the conference finals in 89 and 1990. And in December 1990, they, they made their move. And unfortunately, it was a terrible move. They traded our guy, Eddie Johnson, our dude for, who is now, uh, now known as Justin Termini's sidekick, that's that's how he's officially oh, no. introduced the restaurants. I'm kidding, Eddie. Um, they trade Eddie Johnson in two first rounders for Xavier McDaniel. And McDaniel comes to Phoenix and he bombs. Like you go look at his playoff stats. He averaged like nine points a game in the playoffs. They suck. It ruins their 91 thing. Kind of ruins 92 too. And then that leads to the Barkley trade. Um, so sometimes house, when you make the, the kind of big move, it can go sideways. You can end up with the Xavier McDaniel thing. Portland set up the Drexler era. They traded Sam Bowie and Mookie Blaylock, who was uh, going to be a rookie for Buck Williams. And that kind of ignited them. Then they traded a first for Danny Ainge. But then they started fucking up. They traded Drazen Petrovic for Walter Davis, who was on his way down out. They gave away Robert Pack for a second rounder. And they kind of fucked that up. Um, the more recent examples... I really have trouble putting Phoenix in here. Phoenix is another one like this where they had a specific six-year run. Conference finals, 05, 06, 2010. Two brutal Spurs losses in round two in, in 2007 and round one in 2008. Where those were really the Western finals for the most part. Um, or say the Lakers in 08, obviously. But, um, but for the most part, all their moves were to save money. So I don't even know what we can learn from them other than that don't have Robert Sarver on your team. OKC is a good one because they make the four conference finals and the one finals. They didn't really do a lot to improve that team. Like if you're talking about Presti as one of the great GMs, which I think he is, this resume of moves here where they traded Jeff Green in a first for Perkins in 2011. They did a lot of like around the fringes. Then they trade James Harden for Kevin Martin, Lamb and Adams, basically. They, in 2015, they traded first for Deion Waiters. And then in 2015, they also traded Perkins and Reggie Jackson in 2018 first for Enos Cantor and Steve Novak. Pretty rough. So they couldn't kind of figure out how to patch it together. And yet, they almost won in 2016. They're up 3-1. Clay has the heroic game six. And I think that was, a, that was KD going, we've hit the wall. I can't win here. 
And I wonder with the Celtics, if they're looking at what's happened to them, do they see a wall or do they see bad luck? Do they see Curry in game four last year leaving his body in the second half and just fucking single-handedly switching the series? Do they see Miami where they just kind of fuck up the first couple games and then it's just too hard to beat them four times in a row? Can you excuse what happened or is it a symptom of something that's missing from this team? So it seems to me it's more like, and I, I think Oklahoma City of all of these teams that we're comparing is like the most apt comparison because those guys were, they were younger. Young. Yeah. Yes, exactly right. So you you have that added element of uncertainty about you know sort of team building. You 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 know what you have in in KD and and Westbrook, and we thought they knew what they had with James Harden, but apparently they didn't know what they had. <laughs> we. We knew what they had. They, we knew. We at least we knew, knew he was going to be an awesome six man yes. for them. We didn't know yes. he was going to be an MVP. Well, uh, but, you know, I, I think there is something in between bad luck and hitting a wall. And I think that um, in between space is what Boston occupies right now because, you know, they, they had, um, uh, there was no question that there was a lack of just sort of like, um, hoops maturity it's not i mean now you know i'm not calling jason tatum immature he wasn't ready last year to be the lead guy on a team that beats the golden state warriors in the finals which is to his credit part of what motivated him to show up this most recent season the beginning of this season the 2022 2023 regular season he was effing awesome he showed up with with muscle on his body that we hadn't seen before he showed up resolute and, you know, the, the Celtics went out and kicked ass for, for a couple months. And there was a r- good argument to be uh, made for, for Jason Tatum as potential MVP this season. So, you I know, think you might have even sprinkled a tiny bit on him. Oh, of course I did. I mean, you know, I, I that's not saying much. You're like James I, Harden at the fucking strip club at three in the morning. You'll, you'll sprinkle it on anybody. I touch them all. The MVP bets. I touch them all. <laughs> Come on over. I'll take a dance. Oh, Jason Tatum MVP ads. Here's some. There we go. Just some, put a, let me put a $10 bill inside there. <laughs> um, but yeah, so the, with, with, with the Celtics, the, the crossroads that I think they're kind of confronted with is, there, we, we, this is, has to be it for the Horford Williams front court. You just cannot run those two guys out in the upcoming season and say, this is how we we're, we're, we're going to do it. They were, completely- are you telling me flip them for, flip them for Deandre Ayton? Is that where you're walking me into? Well, I look, you, you're, you're the, you're, you're the, uh, maestro of the trade machine. You, you have the trade machine. Well, we can't trade Horford. He's the coach of the team. I went to the game on Monday night. He's the coach more than Missoula did. And so well, we then, can't lose him. Well, we need him in the huddles. Keep him on the bench where, where he truly belongs. Like if you want him on the, you, you have, there's room for no, Horford, coaches. They had to play him too many minutes. That was the problem. I mean, if, yes. if they could have played him 20 minutes a game, he would have been right. great, but they were playing him 35. That's a personnel problem. That's yeah, an issue. Is. You, you can't well, roll into the next season with that same personnel conundrum. If you have Rob Williams, you have to understand he is a role player. The most that you really legitimately can hope for out of him is 22 minutes in 60 games in the regular season. Don't ask for more. Just have him reasonably healthy come playoff time and make sure you have a backup. Make sure you have a reasonable uh, plan B for whenever he he gets you know dinged or there's a tweak to his ankle, he's he, lost my trust. I understand. I, I can't another. I can't 
do another text from my dad at the game going, Rob just left. Can you find out what happened? <laughs> Check Twitter to see what happened to Rob. I just had it. I think Rob, if you're going to look at the, because uh, they, they, they have to, they can't bring back the same team. They cannot. So you, you think We're in agreement. they have to, they have to choose between Brogdon and Smart. I mean, they it's got to be smart. I, 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 I'm sorry to tell you, smart. You, you can count on will play. I mean, you, you got exactly, you got the very best version of Brogdon. Sell high. He's the sixth man of the year, and yet in Game Six and Game Seven, he didn't play in Game Six, and he but probably shouldn't play it in Game Seven because he's always hurt. Because he's Malcolm Brogdon. Yes, he's hurt. <laughs> That's fair. Sure, he's hurt. That's Malcolm Brogdon. Welcome to the Malcolm Brogdon experience. You got I love Malcolm best. Brogdon. I have of no course. defense. I need to consult with my legal firm here. <laughs> Do we have a Malcolm Brogdon defense? Oh, we don't. Let's just move on. Let's it's hear fine. the rest of your arguments. He should be a legit, you know, uh, candidate in, in in any kind of trade, um, which means that Smart is is off the table as a trade candidate, unless there's some kind of incredible package that you're building. But uh, I mean, you you need front court help, but uh, ultimately. Um, with the way that the league is currently um, competed, what is the, you know, the, the basketball values of the current iteration of the NBA, you have two wing players that are under the age of, of 28 that are all NBA players. I think you have to keep running them out there until... Oh, so you're, you know, key, you're keeping Jalen. I'm keeping Jalen. I am. I just, you know, I, I, I don't think that there are tremendous options out there and what you risk in trading Jalen, unless you get somebody that is of, you know, very like mature NBA stature right now is you can't waste any Tatum years because Tatum is a legit MVP candidate. He's a legit, you know, top 10 player in the league, maybe not top five player. In the league. So I, I don't I, mean to demean Brown's all NBA thing, but to be fair, like, so many guys were hurt at that position. I know there nobody is making a all NBA means I'm one of the six best forwards in my position, and nobody's making a list where he's one of the six best forwards because KD didn't make it, Kawhi didn't make it, um, AD didn't make it. I don't. Did LeBron make it this year? I don't even think he did. You voted him for third team. I did. I thought he should have made it. I'm going to retire from voting for the all NBA team like LeBron. <laughs> I'm thinking you, about retiring. Well, you can, know, can somebody should, write that story. You, you and Mark Jackson should retire. Mark Jackson. That's what should I should have done after I became a meme. I should have announced that I'm retiring from going to Celtic games. I could have thrown everyone off the scent of the meme. Um, I the problem with Jalen is actually. Let's take a break and we'll talk about him quickly. Make a fast break to FanDuel during the NBA playoffs. Right now, new customers can get a no-sweat first bet up to $1,000. That is $1,000 back in bonus bets if your first bet doesn't win. We're going to bring on Raheem Palmer in a little bit, and we're going to talk about all of our favorite finals bets and props. We even did some special ringer bets uh, that you can find. All you have to do is go to FanDuel Sportsbook. FanDuel has great promotions every day and a safe and secure app that pays you instantly. When you win, there is no better place to bet all the playoff action in America's number one sportsbook. Visit fanduel.com slash BS, my initials, and get a no sweat first bet up to $1,000. That is fanduel.com slash BS. Just go and bet nuggets to win in four or five, minus 110. There you go. FanDuel, official sports betting partner of the NBA. You must be 21 plus in select states. First online real money wager only. 
$10 deposit required. Refund issued is now withdrawable. Bonus bets that expire in 14 days. Restrictions apply. See full terms at fandle.com slash sportsbook. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit fandle.com slash RG in Colorado, Iowa, Michigan, New Jersey, Ohio, Pennsylvania, Illinois, Tennessee, or Virginia. 1-800-NEXT-STEP or text next step to 53342 in Arizona. 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org slash chat in Connecticut. 800-9-WITH-IT in Indiana. 800-522-4700 or visit ksgamblinghelp.com in Kansas. 877-770-STOP in Louisiana. 800-327-5050 or visit mahelpline.org slash problem gambling in Massachusetts. Visit mdgamblinghelp.org in Maryland. 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY in New York. 800-522-4700 Wyoming or 1800gambler.net in West Virginia. So many of us lay awake at night going through a list of what ifs. What if I get into an accident? What if I need to change my home or auto policy or if your house? What if the Wizards are going to sign another non-all-star for $50 million a year? The good news is that State Farm is there to answer your what ifs anytime. You can reach them 24-7, file claim in the State Farm mobile app, or simply call your agent. And as we get closer to the U.S. Open, which Joe House and I will be attending, yes. I can't help thinking about your golf game because I have been playing golf lately. Honestly, I wish I had a resource for golf questions that are as accessible as State Farm. House, I know you like to, uh, I think you play better. When you, when you have a caddy, that's when you play the best? Oh, always. Yes, I, I, I love playing with a caddy. Caddy in a cart? No, caddy on a walk. Caddy on a walk? Caddy how about a, nice a buddy walk. who how about a buddy who can who knows the greens and can give you some tips on is that good or bad? Do you like the tips or you you oh, just want to hear from the caddy? I, I crave the tips. No, I, I enjoy the walk with with the caddy. I build a nice relationship. You know, I he answers all my what ifs. Would you say the caddy helps with all the tricky what if scenarios with skill and experience? I would say uh He's, yes. He he looks at my game and and is like, "What if you just hit one down the middle one time, you you, you, <laughs> you filthy animal?" <laughs> well, that's what happens when you have the right person when you're playing golf. By the way, that's what also happens with State Farm. You might never be sure about your golf game, but you can at least find certainty in your insurance policy with State Farm. You're pretty certain with your golf game lately. You you feel I feel you, pretty you, good. You, little, you had an elective surgery, and now you're feeling great again. I do. I do um, feel pretty good. With agents that can help you over the phone in person or on the State Farm app, you'll get your questions answered when and how you need. So call or go to statefarm.com for a quote today. So I flew back from Boston. I had a really sad, I can't believe I flew cross country for that flight where I cheered myself up by watching a couple of movies on Delta. Um, but I kept thinking like, is Jalen Brown going to get better? I kept coming back to that. I was texting a couple of people. I was like, is there another level? Because I, I think Tatum's going to get better. Like, I really feel like there's a lot more there, especially when he, uh, and I think he was going to have an awesome game seven. I don't know if that, I don't know if they're going to win. Because I think the, the, this is something somebody mentioned to me late on Monday night that I really underestimated and, and almost like, the, what was Miami? Plus seven and a half. The money line was like plus three. I wouldn't have bet it, but I would have told you like, hey, you should think about this. Although you had a lot of money on Miami and seven anyway. I think we all underestimated the ignominy of losing a three nothing lead. And it, in a weird way, it's a game seven. It's important for everybody. You're going to the finals. But for Miami, that was like fucking life or death. 
And that was what it felt like watching them walk out, how they conducted their business. They were just spo the whole thing. They were like, we're not fucking going to be the first team ever that loses a three nothing lead. And they were just locked in and played really well. So I don't know, even if Tatum had been awesome, I don't know if the Celts win. They looked super tight. The crowd got tight. I don't know. We'll never know. I mean, the problem with uh, any kind of injury to Tatum is he's you really, truly your most reliable ball handler. He's the and guy. rebounder. He's yes. our best rebounder, too. Right. He's like so, our best, basically everything. I mean, I listened to the pod with your dad where where you you guys were pleading with, you know, where is the plan B? Who's the, I mean, God forbid you, you put Tatum at the free throw line and let him be the guy to yeah, as, the, as, post the up Marcus, anything. as the yeah, zone buster, right? There's no easy plays, and that that goes back to the Jalen thing where you put him next to Tatum and it just becomes harder and harder. My instinct, I, I was really sobering looking through all these teams because really that Milwaukee was the only one that went eight years, but they made a massive trade right in the middle to extend it. Utah was 10 years, but talked about this a million times. The league just got super super lousy there in the mid nineties for a, a variety of reasons. Like we didn't have that, that those a lot of the rookies from the mid eighties, like our guy, Lenny bias, like just a bunch of people got wiped out and it just, all of a sudden there weren't a lot of stars. That's how the bulls won 72 games. It just wasn't a very good league. And you had this Utah team that didn't feel any different than they did five years ago. All of a sudden make the finals two years in a row. Um, really only making the one Hornacek trade. So, History tells us it's about seven years is is your best case scenario. And then either weird shit happens or salary stuff comes into it or somebody gets injured or something like that. And it really does. Like if they were asking me what I thought, I love Jalen. I'll root for him on any team. But paying him and Tatum a hundred plus million a year, I just, I can't get there mentally. I can't. Like I, I heard first, I watched the beginning of first take today which was one of the great uh, morning moments of my year because Mad Dog Russo tried to pronounce Luka Doncic. <laughs> it was what'd unbelievable. What do you call him? I don't know what, I actually don't know what he said. The whole show kind of stopped. I, I think he called him Laki Jokic. And they were all like, what? And then he's like, the Dallas kid, Luka. It was hilarious. But JJ was making the point like, this is the price for an all NBA guy. It's like there's Jalen's a top 25 guy in the league. This is the price. The new CBA has determined these guys make between 45 and 50 million a year and you have to pay it. And I get that. I think, I think that's correct. Somebody will pay him 45 to 50 million a year. And it'll probably be the Celtics, whether he takes the contract and then nine months from now is like, Hey, maybe I'm not that happy. Maybe you should trade me. I don't know if that'll happen. But my question is, once you're in, there's no going back. Nobody knows this better than you. Nobody knows. Nobody knows this better than Joe House, lifelong (laughs) Bullets Wizards fan. Once that contract is inked, that's it. You're married. It's a it's it's a true story, and as I've uh, said on this podcast many times, in any other forum where anybody wants to ask me about the Wizards. The one sin you cannot commit, you just cannot overcome this if you make this mistake, is to pay a very good player like a superstar. And 
it's it is something it's a mistake that the Washington franchise has repeated multiple times going all the way back to Juwan Howard uh and you know God bless Gilbert Arenas I, I mean he 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 legitimately earned the contract except for they paid him knowing that he had a, a debilitating knee injury that he would re- probably never recover from. Um, they uh, that was paid great. John Wall. I mean, that was hilarious in real time. You're you're just talking to you about that. Well, I, I mean, it's like the, the, the crazy thing during that era was that Abe Poland, God bless him, who built the stadium downtown and really revitalized a portion of Washington, D.C. through his own initiative and his own contribution. It was really an amazing thing that he did he gave out contracts as though they were bonuses. Like you yeah. had a great season. So now let me give you a bonus. And the bonus is the contract, but the contract, uh, I mean, the bonus, you, you have to pay for that in the future. It's not, you don't just get to, to say, great job. We're going to give you extra money for the great season. You just completed. It counts for the future. And it hands. Well, he was so old. He didn't care. He, yeah, he was Maybe just so. like, I, Maybe I, so. I just, I just want to be good right now. I don't, I can't really think about three years from now. It's always dangerous. Yeah. That, with the Jalen thing, I think he's not as good of a two-way player as he was because I used to think he was an elite defender, like elite, like really, 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 really good. Not quite the same on that level anymore. He's never been a good passer. He makes a ton of turnovers. He doesn't get to the free throw line and it takes him a lot of shots to get his points, you know? So just, Fundamentally, the advanced stats have never loved him. I love him because he's durable. He's been in a bunch of big games. And I just, I ride with that guy. But once we start getting to 45, 50 a year, it makes me think like, are you just better off trying to get somebody basically to play who could be 80% as good as him for a lot less and then get some awesome asset? You know, well, and like, I so- look at like, like Houston, we know he loves Houston. Houston has the fourth pick in the draft. And is there a way to get that fourth pick? He could, he loves Emay. Emay loves him. Is there a way to get the fourth pick back and a bunch of, and a couple of the other picks that they have, because they've stockpiled a bunch from OKC and, and Brooklyn and kind of reboot with some of those assets and then use the assets to try to make a second move that you're good now and you, and then you have some more assets and you have some more salary cap flexibility. You're just These talking are the about conversations the Celtics are having right now. Reasonable conversation, but you're talking about jumping into the great unknown. Like, you know, you the 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 risk is sacrificing prime years of Jason Tatum. And and you know, you you know what you have with Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum together. Multiple trips to the conference finals. You know how the you know what you have you have the sad Bill Simmons meme that's what you have. <laughs> well, there are there are lots of reasons though that that this season ended the way. No, it's that, it's true. It's, it's been, been great. We've made yeah. five conference finals in seven right. years. Like yes, like the Wizards. You take one of them. One. Give me one. You literally it, take one. You would have been the highlight of your the decade. Conference finals. We literally were in Game Seven against the goddamn Celtics, and my god, goddamn Kelly Olynyk. Stuck it to us. I mean, you know, at least he he really he ate did. Some, he ate some sushi with me afterwards to make make the peace. But I cursed him yeah, all the way did. up until then. Yeah, I love. I'm Kelly glad Olenek. we're talking this out because I think you're right. You know what you have. You don't know what you don't have. And yet, if they could get in the top three, I would do it. Like if Portland put that pick on the table and it was like sign and trade Jeremy Grant for Jalen, 
and you got the number three pick back and you could talk yourself into Jeremy Grant, you know, it, being they, 80% what Jalen is and I get a pick out of it. Like, what's Portland going to do? How how are they going to simultaneously have this shade and sharp Simons number three pick direction, but also have Jeremy Grant, Dame Lillard and Nurkic? Like, I, I have no idea what's going on with that team. <laughs> They, they don't either. That's their problem. That's not your problem. This is why well, I, my recommendation it could be my would solution. be shrink the size of your problem. Like you, you, you have personnel issues in other spots that it feels like could be addressed, um, including the coaching situation. Like, you know, Joe Maz after this season, if you can, can, you know, gird him with some genuine NBA support, you know, some real. Not guys that uh, work at the store 24. That's not nice to whoever those assistant coaches are, whose names we could all look up. Uh, they, listen, could, three of them just went to go to Houston. There was a report today and I mailed it to my dad and he's like, they should take Joe with them. <laughs> Who, who's to say that won't ultimately <laughs> Maybe it'll happen. happen. But there is, look, look at the, the glaring areas where, where you can build up. Why not take the two guys that you can kind of count on, the guys who have delivered these series of conference finals and, and, and smart, and then, you know, you, you have to do something in the front court. That, that to me, is the like a, a job one kind of thing that I would be looking See, at as a Celtics fan. I feel like, and I love White, and I actually thought they were stumbling into something with him in game seven for a split second where they were just spreading the floor and letting him beat, beat people off the dribble. Remember when we were in college and we played basketball five times a week and once a week treated ourselves to barbecue and that was and, and occasionally studied and that was basically what oh, we did yes. in college. Oh, yes. Um, and we would play pickup and it was all the same, like, 25 guys over and over again that we would run the into. Best. The best. And one guy that we used to we used to love was Sean O'Neill, this point guard. Who was I in, knew you were going to say Was he in your it. class? He was my class, yeah, Sean O. And it was like, if you got on got on Sean O'Neill's team, it was like, this is just going to be a fucking awesome two hours. I can't, I'm going to have such a good time. I'm going to get the ball in all the spots I like. If we have fast break, I'm going to run, I'm going to run the wing. I'm going to get the ball back. It's just going to be a delight. The Celtics don't really have a guy like that. And even like you look at uh, Miami, like you don't think of Butler as like a quote unquote LeBron like creator, but he creates good shots for people. Like over and over again, he was able to get into the paint and dish out and create open threes for whoever. He was able to tilt the court, you know, over and over again. He's on just one side of the court by himself. And it's like, fuck, what do we do with this? And if Tatum can't get to that level, they're going to need somebody. They need like the the guy who makes it more fun for everybody. Otherwise, it's just going to be what we've seen the last couple of years. These guys just dribbling against these extended out pseudo zones or actual zones and diving at their legs when they drive to the basket. Um, I just think if for a season to end the same way in 20 and 22 and 23, that tells me this, this particular team is at the ceiling. Maybe so, although the circumstances are pretty different in, in each um, instance and the teams that you lost to were pretty different um, in these instances. Not even defensively, though one, though. one of them was Miami. But look, not being able to solve Miami, it, it's, it is true that Jimmy Butler does tilt. He also plays within a discipline, a Miami discipline. They you Count the number of possessions where more than two guys touch the ball. Just right. like a very simple barometer of, of fundamental 
uh, offensive scheme. And compare that to the number of times that in game seven, Boston <laughs> stuck with their, their best player being hobbled. How many times did, did more than two guys touch the ball on offensive possessions? It's like sometimes it, it can be that simple of, of a, an analysis. Miami is effing discipline. The ball moves, 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 and there are, are good looks. It's the reason why, the, you know, the, in the advanced metrics, the average amount of space that the Heat had for the three-point three attempts they had was seven feet. The defender, the closest defender on average for Boston was seven feet. And all Boston had was contested threes because of, you know, the, the offensive scheme. So a lot of that, like, give Tatum the opportunity to play inside of a scheme where the ball moves, touches multiple hands. It, you you have the, the caliber of wings capable of this, right? I mean, right. Derek, they, they, the, the ball moved pretty good, you know, once out of every six possessions. When Tatum wasn't hurt, the game six, the ball moved pretty good. So it's that kind of thing. Here's the thing. At some point in playoff basketball, as it gets harder and harder, you need your thing offensively. What's your thing, right? Miami, I don't understand it. I don't understand how it always works. But they always had either the Butler ISOs on one of the sides with three shooters on the other side, and you kind of had to watch all of them. Or Bam at the top of the key with these little picks going each way and guys bouncing off left and right, and then occasionally somebody loses concentration for a second and they get a wide open three. And those are the two things they did. Those were two better things than anything the Celtics had. True, true story. <laughs> like, I don't know. What was our thing? I watched them all year. It's I, Their thing was basically the Tatum pull-ups or, you know, like once in a blue moon, they would post up Marcus and that was fun. And he would actually get somebody a good shot or they, or they would just ISO somebody on one side. They try to beat somebody off the dribble, but we're going to watch this Denver Miami finals. And it's two teams that have a thing like Denver's yeah. thing is the best thing. That's why I thought they were going to win the, win the West before the playoffs and before yes. the season. Yes. Do you make enough money on Denver, by the way? Uh, I made a decent amount. It was, you know, it, it was healthy. I didn't, I didn't make enough. I, I cleaned up on the Lakers series. That was, I think, I think that was the most profitable we, we, we single made, basketball series I've had in a while. We should have done a lot more on that. Series. I'm mad at the Phoenix <laughs> one. The Phoenix one, I'm, I'll never forgive myself. I got spooked by Durant and Booker together. Eh, it's reasonable to be spooked by that. The Lakers I won one was some, but one. not nearly enough. That Denver was plus one hundred heading into that series. I, I I made a nice amount, but but not nearly enough. But anyway, all right. So to put a bow on this, because we're going to bring Raheem Palmer in your uh, cohort on my guy, East Coast Bias. the dream. Yeah, the dream is going to come in. Um, to put a bow on this, you're even though I laid out all this history for you, all these different teams. You're saying year eight. Brown and Tatum run it back. I would. With I would. with some with some actual coaches on the sideline this That time. would be one good thing and, and can and Al Horford still coach the team during timeouts or would you have an actual coach do that? Just let him coach. Don't put him on the floor anymore. He, Al he, Horford he, as player coach? Let, not player. <laughs> Just coach. He can't he can't move. Did you watch him in game six and game seven? No, yeah, Al would I, he was good against Philly. I'm pro yeah. Al. I just okay. thought they'd put too many miles on him. All right. If I asked you to play 36 holes with no cart, you would be able to play about 20. Yeah, 20 sounds right. And if, give me to the end of the summer, I'll be able to do 36. 
you could play 36, but then if I asked you the next day, you got to play oh, no, 18 no. again, no, you'd be no, a fucking no. mess. That was no, Al yeah, Horford. That's right. Yeah. That's Al Horford right. can play 18. He needs a cart. <laughs> it needs to be one of those four and a half hour rounds where you stop halfway through and maybe you get a turkey sandwich. Nice. And then you play the other nine. That's yeah. that's the stage of his career he's at. We have to do too much. He fucking guarded Joel Embiid. He had to well, hold off the Atlanta guys in round one. I, I, look, that it, it, it is a personnel problem that he's had all that mileage. Just to, to finish this, a couple, couple era teams that didn't get there. Because I think this Tatum-Brown thing, we'll now remember it 20 years from now. It's like, oh, that Tatum-Brown Celtics. My fear is we'll go, yeah, they can never get over the hump. Um, the same way we remember the KD, Russ, OKC, and the Nash era, and the Reggie Miller Pacers, Malone and Stockton, Drexler Pistons, the KJ Suns, Don Nelson's Bucks, and then the, the Julius Sixers. But just before we bring Raheem in, couple other ones. Oh, Raheem, you're here. What's up, Raheem? Uh, a cu couple era teams that never got there. We're talking about all these teams that made uh, a bunch of conference finals, at least, like the Celtics. The CP Blake Griffin Clippers. The Mark Price Cavaliers. We love those teams. They were just Man. bad luck. They were yep. just born. That was like a classic born in the wrong era. Exactly. Um, the pre-Duncan Spurs with Robinson. They were like lingering for, you know, six years there. Could never get over the hump. The Ewing Knicks are a great one. They made two finals. Um, I feel like those were two different Knicks teams, though. Because you had it. like the the bruiser Knicks teams in the early 90s and then the uh, late 90s Allen Houston Spree Knicks. Uh, LeBron 1.0 Cavs, that 2007 to 2010 run. And then Harden's Rockets. Raheem, quickly. Would you would you run this back another year for the Celtics or would you would you do a big move? Do you think this team's hit the ceiling? Uh, it's tough just because, you know, Jalen has that supermax coming up. So I think that's the that's the real issue. Um and I think Yeah, you we might, just discussed you, that. Yeah, I think you might just have to make the trade now. Oh man. I can't believe we're here. I was I was so psyched on Saturday. I was like, here we go, man. Game seven. Although I never was super confident because I'm so scared of Miami as, as I've been all year. Um, okay. Raheem Palmer, we got the finals coming up. You guys did uh, on the Ringer Gambling Show, you hit some uh, you hit some picks. JJ seemed, your your co-host JJ, who we didn't invite, because frankly, I didn't like his tone on the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't like his tone. And guess what, JJ? You didn't get to come on today. I didn't, I, you seemed a little too gleeful that a Boston team went down and you know what? You're not in the zoom. Sorry, buddy. Um, <laughs> but we, uh, you talked about whether this would be a short series or a long one. I'm FanDuel. We did all these bets on FanDuel, all these props, all these specials. And one of the, and we got to pick some of them. And one of the props I wanted them to do was Denver wins in four or five. So basically Miami won zero or one games. And that's like basically, uh, I think, minus 110. Raheem, what's the case for a long series? The case for a long series is if Denver continues to be bad on the road, um, as they've been most of the season outside of that those Lakers games. And, you know, Caleb Martin and Max Struess and Duncan Robinson and all these guys just hit a million threes. I mean, that's what's been happening. I mean, they've been shooting, you know, 
almost 50% from three. So that's the case for this being a long series. You know, I was telling you guys all playoffs that the Celtics at home was was the greatest like underdog possibility, money line possibility of all time. And then I think we had a losing record in three rounds at home. There's never been anything like this. Wait, this team that made the finals and the conference finals in consecutive years, but had a losing record in the playoffs at home. When will that ever happen again? Miami beat them three times at home. Um, on the Denver thing though, house, they kind of won me over as a road team in those two Laker games. Cause I thought, especially game three was hostile territory with the, with the way it was getting officiated. Um, when LeBron knows he's getting calls, how hard it is to play him in that. Uh, I think you and I are more aligned on a shorter series. Yeah, we, we are definitely aligned on a shorter series. Part of what will inform now I, I, I've already bet on short series. I bet on, um, Denver to win in five, I've put a smaller amount on Denver to win in six because I, I mean, I can tolerate the idea of three-point variance. Yeah, as yeah. a hedge. And it's plus odds. It's, it's still fine. But, you know, and, and Dream made it made the case uh, very well for, for how Miami might extend it beyond, uh, you know, a, a longer series. But um, to me, I think we'll know kind of like right away whether Miami has a solution for the Joker. Like, We'll see what they do in terms of trying to get the ball out of his hands, and we'll see how comfortable he is with finding his wing guys in the the perfect spot. Just just the way you know, I never I watch all those. Yeah, we'll those, we'll see if we'll see if one of the best po- offensive players of all time is comfortable. <laughs> well, I'm gonna but, bet on yes. No, but look, we you know the the what he showed us against the Lakers made you know it, it really at the 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 very beginning of of game 1 they got out to a, a, a I mean the the game 3 um yeah. they got out to a, to a great lead and Lakers came all the way back um but I never really felt like that game was in doubt you know for 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 uh Denver and I I they just have like too many solutions so I think the solution yeah. set continues to be too expansive and and that's why you know I'm I'm pretty confident with, with Denver as a, as a, in a short series situation. Raheem, here's the thing I keep thinking about and nobody is more afraid of Miami than me. I mean, I was, uh, me and Mike Shore were like the boys who cried wolf all season. Um, they're still scotch, scotch taping and duct taping a lot of what they do Miami. And it worked because they got a great coach. They're really smart. They know who they are, but when you're playing zone that much, you're, you're hiding something, right? And they, they were able to do it because the teams that are going against, they're playing Milwaukee in round one, plus Giannis gets hurt, which now, uh, shout out to Ben Thompson, who was just like, can you just mention when you talk about the Bucks Heat series that Giannis basically broke his back and then came back two games later? I'm like, you're right. We should probably mention that a little bit more. Um, but that was one of those teams that their offense could get super stagnant, right? Which is perfect for like Miami switching up defense in zone. Same thing for uh, the Knicks in round two. Perfect one to just like throttle them because ultimately that was just Brunson trying to go one-on-one. And then the Celtics, same thing. Denver doesn't do that. Like Denver just gets good shots. I don't know. And all the numbers back this up. I don't know how you play zone against Jokic. So they're going to have to guard them differently, which then opens up all these other things that happens. What do you, what did your numbers say with this, Raheem? 
Well, I mean, the biggest thing is that when you look at the Denver Nuggets, I mean, they are first in offensive rating in the postseason. And, you know, when you like this zone might have impacted other teams, but the Denver Nuggets are the number one team against zone in the in the, the regular season and the postseason. So I just think that puts Miami in a bad spot. And then when you look at the fact that Jokic, when he's being defended by Bam, he's shooting 63%. And then when he's not being defended by Bam, he's shooting 68% as a whole. So, you know, they could decide and say, look, we're just going to let Jokic score one-on-one. And Jokic will go out there and put out 40. And then if you, du- you send a double at Jokic, then you have all these open shooters. And this Nuggets team is the number one three-point shooting team in the league in the postseason. So it just feels like they're drawing dead. Yeah, and then you have... I I didn't think the Celtics attack Gabe Vincent enough, but I think he's going to have a lot of problems against Jamal Murray. I'm sure this will come back to haunt me because now I'm going to be on the list of people who have counted out the heat. But I, I just think this is an awful matchup for them. This reminds me of... House, Raheem and I are big football fans. I'm not sure if you ever caught a football game or How gambled you. or anything on football. How dare you? Um, but it reminds me of one of those football matchups where you look at it and you're like, wait, this one team loves to run the ball and they have this awesome running attack. But then this other team is the single best run defense in the league. And this is going to be bad for the uh, team that loves to run the ball. And they're not really going to have a plan B. And I don't see how they score. And then you watch the game and it's like, oh, yeah, they're punting again. Um, I just don't see how they're going to stop Denver offensively. And so then it's going to come down to the three-point variance, which let's be honest, like round three, round one, they were hitting them. Round one, round two, they weren't. Like they weren't making anything against the Knicks. So, and they, during the season, they were 34% three-point shooting team. It's pretty, and they lose hero and they get better at threes. Like I, there's stuff that doesn't add up. Now, if, if Caleb Martin is, I mean, if he has another series like that, we have to investigate like deals he made with the devil and shit like that. Cause I, have you ever seen anything like this? This Caleb Martin is a fucking turned into Kawhi Leonard in game seven. What was that? No, it's absolutely insane. And then to make matters worse, J Cole of all people discovered him. Like, did you guys read that story? <laughs> <laughs> that made Raheem the maddest. <laughs> it's like, I don't, I don't care if Miami costs me money. This J Cole thing is bullshit. <laughs> yeah, the uh the I guess like what he played 45 minutes in game seven. He's not gonna be able to do that against Denver, but I, I don't if Hero came back in game three, does that make you more scared on the short series house? Definitely not. No, I okay. think I think reintroducing Hero honestly would be a mistake. Uh yeah. And I don't think, you know, mm-hmm. Miami is in like experiment mode right now. They 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 know who they are. They have a great identity. They have great flow. They have great cohesion. Why would why would you mess with that? I mean, if you if you want to get if you want to tell me uh, you'll give Hero twelve minutes and it's going to cut into some of the Duncan Robinson time, okay, that's that's fine. I'll I'll live with that. But man, I would not be messing messing around with starting Hero or anything crazy like that. Yeah, mm-hmm. I think that's the worst thing that they could possibly do. And I'm I'm actually you know like I have some prop bets to where. I'm kind of banking on them bringing back Hero, um, and it kind of you know helps out those prop bets. Mm. Well, let's get to those prop bets. So, Raheem, you've been doing a gimmick on the Ringer Gambling Show, the hundred. How are we doing? What's the record? We are fifty thirty-seven and one plus eight hundred and sixty-two dollars. We're about 57%. come on, house. That's that's good. That's, that's like good. almost sixty percent. Yeah, we love it. We love that. 
I'm a little disappointed couple... at the record. I, I can I can do a little bit better. I'm gonna be honest with you. I just um I had a rough go of it for a little bit. We also had some bad luck. Um, we could blame your Celtics for some of that. Game two, we went heavy on the Celtics. I mean, we lost about four units on that. So um, yeah, and what did I tell you? Don't bet yeah, on the you... Celtics when they're home. What are you doing? <laughs> the, pr- the price was out of whack. I thought every Celtics Heat game just should have been even odds. Like just no no points either way. Um, all right. So what do we 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 did all those FanDuel props. I asked you to pick three, four, five that you really like. So let, let's hear them. This is, by the way, House, do you want to put on like a lobster bib or anything? Like you love nothing more than hearing somebody reveal favorite props. I have my oh. red pen and my highlighter sitting right here. So I'm ready to roll. Okay. All right. So all right, let's hear go on props because I think my biggest one, I like the Denver Nuggets series props, price. Props, bets, um, whatever. Yeah, whatever you want. Okay. okay. I like the Denver Nuggets series price minus one and a half. I love that. I, I think... I'm giving, I'm still going to give the Heat some respect for, you know, being the zombie Heat and being able to wake up and win two games. But the Nuggets should be able to easily win this game, this series in six. So going Denver Nuggets minus one and a half on the series price. So That's my first what are bet. the odds on that? That's, it was, it was one, minus 160. It's, it's up to minus 175, but I still like it. So basically, no game seven and Nuggets have to win. Yeah. Why is that? I would have thought that would have been like minus 200, minus 220, something like that. Yeah, it, it opened really low. It was, like, it was minus 160. I think you actually get minus 150 at one point in time. So I just feel like the Nuggets are being disrespected there. Okay. Um, I'll take that all on. Right. House signed off, and I, I see drool coming down his lip a little bit. All right, what's next, Raheem? What's next? We're going to go with Michael Porter Jr., threes leader. Um, This is down from plus 380. I grabbed some plus Whoa. 380. Yeah, it's it's now plus 240. And the reason I like this is because when you look at Jamal Murray, I mean, him and, and Porter are pretty much neck and neck in their ability to shoot threes and, you know, and how many they've taken in terms of their attempts. However, look at look at the the guys on Miami. You got Max Strew, 6'5, Caleb Martin, 6'5, Tyler Hero, 6'5, Lowry, six six feet. Michael Porter Jr. is 6'10". He's going to shoot over all of these guys. Like, they don't can have I, anybody to guard. Can I correct you? Uh, Caleb Martin grew to 6'9 over the last week. I don't know. if <laughs> It hasn't been reported yet. He's now 6'9". He grew four inches. He's growth spurting right now. That's what I heard. <laughs> okay. But, I mean, for the most part, I just don't think they have anybody to defend him, and I think he's going to get open looks. So I, I, like, I like his made threes leader for the series. All right. So the price is what now on FanDuel? Plus, two, plus 240. House, I didn't talk to you about Michael Porter Jr. We never had we never had like a late night call after I went to those two games. He's kind of shocking how big he is. Yeah, to Dream's like, point. But like we, you really feel it. And when he's coming around screens, shooting at these weird angles, like nobody's hand is near him. He's just shoot. It's honestly like watching six foot ten Clay. That was like younger Clay, oh, not Clay now. Okay, that's how I felt. I don't think he's as good of a shooter as Clay, but. Um, just watching him in motion with the size he has, he's really impressive. And I felt like there was some ego stuff with him but last year, definitely, but even in the first part of this year. But now I think he's like, I know exactly what I am. I know exactly how we can win a title with what I need to do. And I was really impressed by him. All right, what's your next prop? My next prop is, and people aren't going to believe this, but I'm going Caleb Martin under 15 and a half points average. I mean, this is a guy who... Regression. 
Yeah, you got to bet on that regression. I mean, this is a guy who, you know, he averaged 10.8 points per game up until the Boston series. And I think, you know, a lot of his offensive surge had more to do with the Celtics, unfortunately. And, you know, I think he could see less minutes if Tyler Hero plays. So um, I'm, I'm going to go with his under. I'm also going to go with his What's the unders. price on that? Is that around even? Yeah, it's about even. It's like you got to pay like minus 113 juice, but. Okay. And I'm like also going to go house. with. I'm also going to go with Caleb Martin under six six point six rebounds average. Wow, shorting Caleb Martin house. <laughs> I love it. it's a great zag. It's a great zag. <laughs> this is unbelievable. The the guy that's flame shooting out of his ass, and Raheem's like, I am not scared. All right, yeah, those I mean, are sometimes good. Sometimes you like got to when everybody else zags. Um, no, I you're right. It. Well, but as we know with the props, the props are set for dumbass people like me and House who just go into a series going, well, Caleb Martin's hot. What's the price on that? I'll go over. And they just juice it up by 15%, hoping to rope us in. And the, the only time it doesn't work is with the Jokic points, rebounds, and assists. Like, I honestly, they can't make it high enough. <laughs> it was at 53. I'm like, 53? That's low. Yeah, I just always feel like he's getting at least 55. What do you got next? Okay, next we have Michael Porter Jr. over seven rebounds. I, I like. I, I mean, I really like this for his average just because, I mean, we've been betting his overs, I mean, a ton on the hundreds. So um, I think he should be able to rebound on this team. So I, I really like that one. I like that one because if Jokic isn't rebounding, it's either him or Bruce Brown because Bruce Brown will come flying in and get some. But yeah, you're right. There, nobody else on that team's going to rebound. All right, what's your last one? Okay, we got two more, actually. So okay. we got Jokic to lead the series in total points slash Nuggets to win the series. That's actually, that's under the ringers props. So I like that one. I think that's plus 160. Yeah, I, I really plus like that Plus 160. One. So, House, who beats him? Murray. So, but it could also be Butler, right? It could be anybody? It could be anybody, yes. I, I worry a little about Butler in that one, but they do have a lot of guys to throw at Butler. But that's that's my thing. And actually, you know, that correlates with my next one. And this is a long shot. Jokic to outscore Jimmy Butler in every game, 20 to 1. I mean, this is like a, a, a roast. Yeah. And I All know right, it sounds crazy, but when you look at, look at the last series with the Lakers and the Nuggets. Jokic outscored LeBron James in every single one of those games. And you have Aaron Gordon to throw at Jimmy Butler. Now, you guys have heard me spoke about my Game 7 trend all the time. You know, teams who come off a seven-game series are just 36 and 50, 41% straight up in the following series. We all know Jimmy Butler. He's not, he hasn't played the same towards the end of the Celtics series as he did at the beginning of the Celtics series. So I think he's fading a little bit. And now you throw Aaron Gordon at him. I think you have a slower paced series. I think it's very reasonable that, you know, with the advantages that Jokic has, if this is a short series, if this is a four or five game series, Jokic can now score him in every game. So it's just well, it's a long now, shot. You're speaking House's language because House loves nothing more than a big, fat, long shot prop that then you can bet against once you're like halfway home with it. And try to protect yourself. So you could bet that one and Jokic outscores Butler in the first two games. And then you could get a little, you could just bet that as a straight up prop in game three and just try to remove some of the weight while still trying to win it. I like that one. What do you like? What do you think, House? I love that one, um, especially in the context of how we think the series is going to play out. You know me all too well. 
you start talking about twenty to one kind of bad. I mean, that's, that's I got I got to shout out my guy Brandon Anderson for that. He was he was like you know we speak every day. He's one one of those guys who kind of helps me out with things. So shout out to him for that. Shout out Brando. House, do you have any? No, I mean I I I played pretty vanilla. The only thing that I did that's outside of what we've been talking about, I played a little bit on Jamal Murray to be the MVP of the of the finals. I heard on you the, talk about that. That's oh, just classic dumb house money. Well, it's fine. Come I mean, on, it's, house. It's, it's, again, house, it's, you just it's you're a just double donating. digit. It's a double digit odds kind of thing. That's all. I like the price. That's that's why I'm playing it. Cool. Jokic <laughs> is going to be the MVP. Probably. <laughs> what Probably. are you doing? Probably. Can I give you a couple that I really liked? Let's hear them. Yeah, I want to hear them. So, this was one I suggested. It's one of the ringer bets. Jokic, 50 plus points, rebounds, assists in the series. Minus 110. He's been comfortably over 50 in the playoffs. He's been at like 53. And I just, he just, he, he, every game, even if he's not shooting well, it's still like 23, 14, and 15, 23, 17, and 10. He's always like near, but then he'll have like the one game where it's like 28, 17, and 20. Um, I just think he gets to 50 plus. I like that one. I was on the Murray most threes bandwagon, although your Porter case was compelling, but Murray most threes, Denver wins the series is plus 105. And then, uh, the one, I, the one I really liked was Denver wins in four or five is plus 110. I think I like your minus 160 more. And if there was a way to do Denver wins game one, parlayed with Denver to win in six or less, I think that would be my, my number one recommendation. I also like if, if you're not allowed to bet on the finals MVP with a parlay, but I would have loved the finals MVP for Jokic with triple-double as a combo, but they they couldn't do that one. I actually, I actually like your Denver to win the series in four or five games because, I mean, you're going to be in a spot where if they just win games one and two, you're going to be able to hedge at some point. Right, and you think like if they're up 3-1 heading into game five and I have Denver at plus 110, then I can just take Miami at plus plus eight and defray some of the whatever. I can do an adjusted line with Miami like plus three and a half. Or whatever it is, I uh, I'm scared how confident I am in Denver, especially when Miami is made up of zombies and um, people who practice in the dark arts. What was that lady in Game of Thrones house? Oh yeah, the the, the red witch, the witch lady. Yeah, you liked her because she got naked a few times. No comment. <laughs> While being covered in blood. What no was comment. The, how can we not remember the witch lady? That show is, I can barely remember the characters in succession. What was your final succession, Great House? Yeah, solid B. It's fine. Enjoyed it. They killed you the best character. Oh, Melisandre, Sarudi says. That was yeah, the witch that's lady. That's right. Yeah. You liked good, Melisandre. Good I did. Not your favorite Thrones. There was a couple other ones you also really liked. Much um, earlier. Much earlier. Yes. Uh, so B for succession. You called the Tom Shiv thing halfway through the season. Thank you for gotta that. Got to give you credit. Uh, all right, Raheem, we'll see which ones of those hits, but you're going to be doing, so how many you're up to in the hundred? You have 87. So you got well, 13 we, we bets left. But we have 88, but we have one push. So maybe I'll just give a bonus one. <laughs> well, if it's a short, so you got to do at least, we're trying to get it exactly to a hundred. So I, I think you got to do like three a game now. 
Yeah. Because what if That's it's a be- sweep? Then we never would have gotten to 100. Now we got to do like NBA draft props or something. Oh, that's crazy. Okay, I, I got some ideas. I, I think we're going to get there. If they get to 3-0, then we'll know. Load up on game four. I mean, I'm going to have, want- I'm gonna have a, a game one pick and I'm going to have a series pick. So we're going to be at, at, at 90. My pick is Denver in five. That's my final answer, House. And I don't want to take shit from the Miami fans because I fucking said all year that I was terrified of you guys and that everyone was sleeping on you. So fuck off. <laughs> That's my take. Do that have, meme. House, I have another uh, bet for you before we go. And I don't know if FanDuel has it yet. Do they have draft bets yet? Oh, the NBA draft? Yeah. Why? Because you have Scoot going too now, huh? I think Scoot's going to go too. Yeah, I I, um, I could feel it. I could feel where you're going with this. Um, I think Charlotte's just going to look at it and eventually go, what are we doing? Let's just take Scoot. We'll figure it out with him and LaMelo. And maybe, you know, if if we have to trade one, so be it. But it's a safer pick. So I don't know. Are there NBA draft odds yet, Raheem? I haven't seen any NBA draft odds. The only thing I've seen on FanDuel thus far is you can bet Wimba to win rookie of the year at minus 230 versus the field at plus 172. Seriously? Got to plow yeah. into that. The only thing that... Yeah. <laughs> Do you realize what you just did in the house? He's yeah. going to go to the bank yeah. at 11 o'clock back. That's night. exactly right. <laughs> it's only 930 I, on the East Coast. Here's my hot take for that. I want to bet the Spurs to make the playoffs next year. If that wow. was a bet, I would do that now because I think what? they can, they have like 50, 45 million in cap space and I think they can have like a decent team around him. I think he's going to be unbelievable defensively, like unbelievable. Like uh, people are going to be in disbelief how many shots he changes, alters. And then on the other end, like if you put the right team around him with that framework, like I could see them going 40 plus. It's not inconceivable. He was in a pretty good league last year, like doing really well. He, he's already now. he's still playing right now. <laughs> so I know. <laughs> I know. I was impressed by him. I liked how he handled himself. I liked his interviews. He just seems like a really mature. He might be the first French person I've ever liked house. I'm trying to think. <laughs> trying to think other other French would oh, I liked uh I like I liked uh Joakim Noah's dad. Yeah, sure. Remember Yannick when he had a run Parker? in tennis? Yannick Noah. No. No, I did I didn't like Tony Parker. Um, I like Yannick Noah. I thought he was a good one. All right. Uh, House, thanks for talking it out with me about the Celts. Mm-hmm. Like we landed okay pace. Raheem, good luck with the 100. We can hear you guys on the Ringer Gambling Show. East Coast Bias, which is also on FanDuel TV, which has been really fun to watch. Uh, when are you guys taping that, by the way? What time of the day is it? Tuesday it, night. Yeah, it varies. Sometimes during the yeah. day, sometimes at night. But we, we got it re- up and ready to rock out on Wednesday morning so everybody can sit down with a coffee and, and get their their Yeah, uh, it does look like had a coffee house. It looks like I had a couple cocktails house on, on FanDuel TV. <laughs> it's my favorite house. Depends on the time of day, that's all. <laughs> all right, guys, good to see you. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer partner of the NBA. I love the NBA. When game day comes around, win or lose, this is the beer you want. Michelob Ultra. My go-to right now because I'm a light beer guy. Sorry, hate to break it to you. You know, I'll mess around with some other ones, but for the most part, really ever since college, I've been a light beer guy. Michelob Ultra, not only does it taste great, 95 calories, crisp and refreshing. 
put it in your fridge. Watch how people just grab it. All of a sudden, they're gone. I also like McLobe Ultra because they're getting fans closer to the game right now than ever before with exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like signed memorabilia and courtside seats. Enter for your chance to win at McLobeUltra.com slash courtside, LDA, 21 and up. This episode is brought to you by Verbo. You know, it is already stressful enough to deal with airports, delayed flights, bad weather. You want your actual where you're staying experience to be perfect, to be lights out. You don't want to have to worry about anything. When you book a vacation rental, you want to know exactly what you're paying ahead of time. The stress of getting hit with unexpected cleaning fees after your stay that can immediately cancel out all the great time you just spent unwinding. Thankfully, when you book with Verbo, you can see the total price upfront. There are no unpleasant surprises and the savings do not stop there, my friends. When you book with Verbo, you earn 2% cash back toward your next vacation through the One Key Rewards program, letting your money do the work for you while you've got your feet up. So while other vacation rentals can feel like a roll of the dice, relax knowing you booked a Verbo. Book your next private vacation rental in the Verbo app. All right, I don't know a lot of Denver Nuggets fans. I don't really know any Denver Nuggets fans, but Chuck Mendenhall, who uh, has written a bunch of stuff for The Ringer, he's one of the hosts of The Ringer MMA show with uh, Ariel. And who's who's my other guy? Who's the average guy? Pete Carroll. Pete Carroll. Yes. yes, I'm sir. blanking. I haven't, I flew cross country and then back in 24 hours. And <laughs> I think I might've had a slight brain aneurysm. Um, Chuck, The Nuggets. Yeah. Have Finally. never made the finals in your lifetime. Have never made the finals since the 1976 ABA finals, which was the last ABA finals ever and had teams dropping out of the league as it yeah. was happening, yet they almost won. Um, really never, you can't really say going back, oh man, only if only this one thing had happened with the franchise history. A couple close calls, but not anything like, you know, fork in the road-ish. And now all of a sudden you're laying waste. Kicking ass. Um, when did you know with Jokic that this had a chance for him to be the best guy in the league? Well, man, first of all, can I just say that like you had mentioned, I think it was in a tweet, you'd said something along the lines of, this might be the big, it was in game three against the Lakers, you said this might be the biggest Denver Nuggets win in history. And I was thinking, ah, man, I don't know, a Celtics guy shouldn't be able to make that call. But then I started thinking and I'm like, man, let me really think about this. And I think that is why it has felt so surreal is just the fact that they have not had a history. They've had a past, a colorful run and gun past, but they haven't had a history. They haven't had anything you can really hang your hat on and be like, this team was great, at least during these moments or anything. They've had good players come through, but they've never had a moment like this where you can say we've done something. We've done something other than make the Western Conference Finals. So just starting off the bat, man, you made me think about that. And I have to say, when they clinched against the Lakers, it was as the closest I've come to like having like a feeling of watching your child be born or something in sports where you're like you're watching something happen that you never thought you'd see. And it's very surreal. But you're, to get to your question, man, like watching them, I went to a couple games during the season. They could be down, you know, kind of listless and, uh, you know, just not all there. And plus, Jamal was coming back from the injury. There were some things going on. It was slow to gel. But they could be down 15 points, you know, with like four minutes to go till the half and then be up by six at the half. I mean, they were doing that type of thing all year. They Once they turned it on, it was a full orchestrated thing of beauty. And to watch Jokic kind of use the new pieces with uh, Caldwell Pope and, uh, you know, Bruce Brown coming in, who's been tremendous, but watching those and then watching Murray kind of get it back, watching Porter play defense and rebound. 
there was just an inkling when people were saying that the West was wide open that it wasn't. Like, I think for the guys like us who would never say it out loud because we've been so browbeaten as a franchise, that there was just a moment where you're like, I don't know, man, it's going to be tough to beat Denver. And I, that was kind of in the December, January range. Yeah, I never wavered. I had him before the season. I remember. I had I him that. before the playoffs because I felt like people were really discounting the home court. And also the fact that Jokic in the playoffs is just going to play eight to 10 more minutes a game, which, you know, during the season, these guys, Giannis, same thing. They're playing 32, 33 minutes, yeah. whatever. And in the playoffs, you can play him 42, 43. Now in the finals, you get extra days between some of the games. He can go even more than that. I did, I was doing the draft for ESPN when he got picked and he went 41st. 41st, yep. And it was, and I, I remember nothing about it. You know, like every year there's these centers that get taken. There's either, you know, there's those rim runner type centers. Then there's the foreign guys. And you just, you have no idea. We also, we, Rudy Gobert was another one. I think he got picked and he came out of the stands because he wasn't in the green room. But you just <laughs> never know what the foreign guys He's somebody I wish I had watched the YouTube clips of because I think he always had the passing. But the question was, what the hell with his body? Like nobody with that body right. will can ever be a good NBA player. Like maybe you have that one skill, but it's never actually happening. Do you feel like it's he actually gets a bad rap now for both the body and for being in shape? Because that's something Mike Malone talks about a lot where he's like, this guy's in phenomenal shape. He runs. I watch the Nuggets more than any team other than the Celtics yeah. this year. The thing that it was always jarring about them was how hard he runs the floor. He fills the wings. Like he runs and and is, I think, more athletic than than people realize. But that wasn't always the case, right? Yeah. And first of all, when he was drafted, you, know, you got to remember, too, like it wouldn't even register in Denver. I can remember Mark Kisla, who's a columnist, making some some remark about this woodwork figures coming out and how he'll be playing overseas or whatever, something along those lines. Uh, but they had guys like Timothy Mozgov and they had, you know, way back in the day that Skeetish really when Vandeway was running the was running the team and he was taking right. European players. They had a lot of guys come through, man. They had that Greek guy. I can't even remember his name, but a lot of foreign players that came through. There were tall, white, uh, stiff looking centers. And so you really didn't distinguish. They even they had Nurkic, too, in this time. And we all thought he was going to be the stud. You know, nobody really thought that was a, that, that was an argument, yeah. right? Wasn't that, that was for like argument. two years? It's like who's the keeper out of these two? Exactly right. And I think that the that was the big debate. Everybody was like, "Oh, it's a nice, it's a good dilemma to have because you have these two guys who can both fill it up pretty well." Um, but it was only in the in the as you watched Jokic as he got some minutes and you'd see him kind of station himself at the top of the key. You remember the game Tempest? I point this out all the time, like the game Tempest where you're in the middle and you're shooting around like all around the perimeter. Um, that's what it was like. He would get the ball and he would operate. And there was something very and this is from a Nuggets, a long suffering Nuggets fan who you're looking for any identity most seasons. And he would stand up there and just kind of operate. And you could see it early. You could see the uh, the the seeds of what they could do early on. And by like whatever it was, the second season when they when they understood, like it was almost cathartic that they understood that they could use him as a passer, as a distributor, as a facilitator, as a guy. It, wherever the ball was going, you know, he was all, action off the ball. Suddenly you had action off the ball over the place. Right. And even though he had that physique you're talking about, I saw it fairly early. And I think that most people did. Um, but it's been so fun in a weird way and so frustrating another to watch kind of national media who are basically casuals about the Denver Nuggets because they haven't really studied the Denver Nuggets very long. So they're seeing it and they still see the lumbering, slow, flu-like looking guy who uh, isn't, you know, doesn't look like he can get up on the court. But if you really watch him, 
dude, he's up and down the court all night long. He never fatigues in that in the series against uh, the Lakers. I forget what his he was putting up a lot of minutes, man. And he was not yeah. fatiguing at all. So it's one of those things that has been an evolution. I think he was out of like you. T- you talk to Malone and he'll tell you like he was out of shape early on, but he dedicated himself a couple years back to getting coming in in shape. And since then, man, it's just been lights out. Well, if that doesn't inspire Luka Doncic, I don't know what does. Because I, I think they were similar, <laughs> right? They were both great yes. players, but you couldn't say they were in the most incredible shape. I just I, saw Doncic was running stairs, so so maybe he's taking oh, his good. cues maybe, from Jokic. Maybe yes. the yeah. light bulb went off. Yeah. I remember the first person who alerted me to Jokic in like a, in a real way was a friend of mine at the NBA who's like always on this stuff early. So I was like, hmm. But I didn't really watch. And then Zach texted me and was like, are you watching Jokic like he's your kind of guy and this was like five years ago and that was when they started sneaking on my league pass a little bit obviously (laughs) my my brand of basketball guys moving um the bird magic kind of stuff that I grew up with and he clearly had it I thought what he did I mean I've talked about a million times but what he was able to do without Murray was almost more incredible than what he does with Murray um they heading into this season Murray coming back and they had like, I think like the sixth or seventh best odds in the, in the yeah. West, you know, and, and they had the two time MVP and they were really lined up for a run and yet nobody believed in it. They weren't in a great division. That's such a great point. Um, My God. Did you feel like they were, they were being discounted? Like, cause Jokic had won two in a row, but it still felt like, like the national, the national fans and the normal, you know, normal basketball fans like, eh, whatever. He's not that good. <laughs> 100%. I told people to bet on this because uh, I saw you actually, you did predict fairly early because I remember doing a fist bump at the same time. I was like, hey, sh- let's let's keep it a little quiet. The thing was when they acquired uh, Aaron Gordon uh, a couple years back, right before Murray went down, they were something like 8-0 during his, when he first came on. So like the healthiest version or the clearest cut version we'd seen of the team that they fielded this year was a couple of years ago when they made that trade. They were undefeated. Then Jamal goes down in Golden State, and it kind of alters everything. And I feel like everybody just kind of moved on, relegate, you know, Nuggets went relegated to the back again, not really thinking about him. They lose a couple of playoff series without Jamal, one of them without Porter. And that's kind of where they were. So the so the perception was based more on what had been happening in Jamal's absence and all that stuff. But I But you were I, but you were watching those teams and yes. they were like really untalented. Like it yeah. was kind of amazing that people weren't factoring in, hey, just take away the number two and number four guys 100%. from every other team. What happens? If you're if you this is one of the things, Denver's never been a destination for players. Like they've they've tried. I remember Jason Kidd, they were part of that sweepstakes, couldn't even get it like get him. They tried with LeBron, Hail Mary, there was no chance they were gonna get him, all this stuff. But if you're a player now, Look yep. at the guys who are going to cash in. Bruce Brown will cash in because he came through Denver. He's going to cash in now. He's going to go someplace else. And uh, he came in like the mid-level exception, you know, whatever it is. Like he came in and he signed just to, to, to have a place to play. He's going to go and make a lot of money. Jeremy Grant came through Denver, made a lot of money by leaving Denver. Um, Gary Harris, he was he, like he was I think he had an extended shelf life because of Jokic. I think that we kept him vital for a long time. It's crazy to me how he can lift up guys who would be fairly pedestrian throughout the league and make them into something. Um, that has been fun. Like in that that series um, last year against the Warriors, they scrapped pretty hard. They lost in five games, but they scrapped. They really fought, and it was all because yeah. of Jokic. And your next best guy, the number two, is Aaron Gordon. 
Um, it just, it was, they had no chance, but I, I felt like by watching that, you tell me, man, because you've, you've had like teams like this, Larry Bird, like I feel yeah. like when he has the ball and this probably goes into the Patriots too, like you have some certain guys, you just feel safe when they have the ball. You feel, you feel like you, you're going to be okay. Like th- there should be more drama right now for me through this process, but it has not been as dramatic because as long as he's touching the ball on offensive possessions, you just feel good. In the times they go up and they, they some will advise 27-footer or whatever, Jamal waits for the shot clock and throws up some crazy thing. So often, one-handed, he gets it, puts it back, little pogo step, and he's right in there. And it's just, I can't describe how, like, what a security blanket he is for all mistakes and how he makes everybody around him better, which should be the definition of an MVP. Because if he falls out, I mean, it would be a, it would be a meteor-sized, you know, crater, like in their lineup, they wouldn't be able to fulfill. They don't really even, who they're going to have. Um, what's his face? Uh, the, the, I, I don't even, I can't even remember. <laughs> DeAndre the guy. Jordan's yes, that's out. it. I'm like, he hasn't yeah. really played other than garbage time. I mean, they have nobody else. So it's, it's, uh, he makes everybody better. And he did that with those two teams the last year. So that's why I had the hunch, just like you did, that once all the pieces are together, as long as they come back in versions of themselves that they were before, they'd be fine. Yeah, I compared him to the a baby's binky blanket last week. Because you That's can perfect. you can really see it when, especially that, uh, I've talked about it before on the pod, that, that game three Lakers thing, which I went to, where the, it just felt like the refs were yeah. completely against them. And it was like, oh, the NBA's going to do this thing. And they just fought it off. And one of the reasons they fought it off was he just always gets them a good shot. And that, yeah. that's why, like, I look at this Miami series, I just feel like this is, if they're, you can't play zone against Jokic. Right. And it's always like the really, really great players, um, they get to this point where you're basically like picking your poison with whatever you're trying to get them to. You'd be like, all right, I guess we'll try to stop you, but we're going to give up open threes or we're yeah. going to take away the threes, but you're probably going to torch us. Like you're just losing no matter what you're choosing. And that's the level that he got to. And that there's really nobody like that. As great of an offensive player as Curry is, you know, yeah. a lot of that comes and goes with if he, if the shots are just going in or not. But the great thing with Jokic is even when he's not making shots, he can just barrel down and do it. Going backwards with the Nuggets, I remember um, we traded Eric Williams to you guys like 20 plus years ago. We got this future <laughs> pick and it was, we had the choice. To, it was a future pick. It turned out to be the 2001 draft. And we had this choice. We could have kept like rolling it over. And eventually it became like unprotected in 2003. And the stupid Celtics, of course, it ended up being the 10th pick in 2001. And they grabbed it and they picked Kedrick Brown. And they could have just <laughs> rolled it over. And two years later, oh. it became Carmelo Anthony, number three. But I remember back then talking to my dad about it. And we would argue about, should we roll this pick over? What would you do? Because we had the 11th pick too, which took Joe Johnson with. And the theory was, well, Denver is terrible. Like, of course we should roll that over. That pick's only going to get better. What's going to happen with this team? They'll never make the right decision. Like, you ended up in the 1998 draft. You ended up with Rafe LaFrance. Oh, my when God. It was don't like get just me started. Hall of Famers left and right. And don't it's get like, me started. They were supposed to take Paul Pierce. They were going right. to take Paul Pierce that year. You, you passed on Pierce. You passed on Nowitzki. I think you passed on Vince Carter. Vince Carter. Um, yep. But this was the kind of team where... You know, the the great moments were basically, oh, the couple years David Thompson had before he became a drug yeah. addict. Uh, you had Dikembe Mutombo beating Seattle in, in, a, yes. in a first round, coming back from 0-2. Yeah, almost came back from 3-0 against the Jazz. 
I'm surprised you remember that. That's cool. And then, <laughs> and then there was like a, a split second with Carmelo and yeah. Chauncey Billups there, where it seemed like they might win oh, the yeah. title, and it was two two against the Lakers. I would say, I had when I I listed like the greatest Nuggets whenever there yeah. was a game two where they won in L.A. A game that I actually weirdly went to. I was there too. Where, I was at that where game. Yeah, it felt like oh shit, the Nuggets might actually yeah. do this, and then they end up losing six. But what are remember the they should have won memories? game one? But Anthony Carter threw it to Trevor Ariza like three times, and like remember that the inbounds pass. It was just, right. Uh, it was they right. should have been up two zero in that series on the road, but. Yeah. Yeah. I'm not sure you weren't better than the Lakers that year. It was yeah. pretty even, but they, you know, they had the experience, whatever. But what other like memories jump out from your lifetime as a Nuggets fan? My God, man. You see, this is, this is the strange one. Like, if you were to, like, I know you were asking me about the top five, you know, Nuggets. It's kind of tough because for you, like, if you're going through the Celtics, you're going through this rich history, that's going to be very difficult because so many players would stand out. For the Nuggets, it's almost picking through a lineup and saying, like, well, you know, they didn't really do much. You're kind of qualifying with each one. You're saying, eh, they, this, this, or this, but you'll, I guess this guy, you know, it's more like that, which is a bizarre uh, sort of. So it's like little mini eras where it's like, yeah. oh, the Kiki Alex English era was yeah. fun. Oh, it was fun when we had Fat Lever exactly. for. So, and especially during those Doug Moe years, right? Like those Doug Moe years where they would kind of, you know, hang 120 points and still lose by six, you know, <laughs> like right. those types of games. Make like the second round of the playoffs, maybe. Exactly. Yeah, constantly, constantly second round, stuff like that. I mean, you could go through those types of eras, man. But um, the biggest highlights for me, honestly, the, the Dikembe one being number one, because down 0-2 wow. to that team, they had never, they had never, you know, at that time, before the Knicks had went all the way as the number eight seed, nobody had upset the number one seed. So this seemed like something, a part of a history that you could start. Like, oh, here's something that we could say we did. Um, so that was one of the big moments. And, and that was a really good Seattle team. I mean, people were thinking without Jordan that they thought that team was going to win the title. 100%. But most of them are kind of centered around heartbreak because I always think back to the 85, you know, Western Conference Finals where they were they were down 2-1, to one, but the game was in Denver. The Nuggets were winning. Alex English had 26 points in the first half. He was rolling. Kareem got kind of dirty with him through an elbow. He breaks his thumb. Goes out of the game. So it's like if you lost Jokic right now. I mean, it was right. kind of like that. You like you lose your guy, your only hope, which they had to play out of their minds to win that series anyway. But I think they were going to win that game to tie it at 2-2. And instead, they just bow out. They kind of go out of that. that. That's one of the memories. It's not a good Typical memory. cheap but shit from Kareem. <laughs> he was playing dirty. I went back and watched that uh, fairly recently. Oh, he's, he's on the secretly dirty All-Stars. There's no he question. He is, man. He did yeah, a lot he, of that he, sort of he thing. He decked a couple people. You did a lot of that sort of thing. So they're, they're like that. I think from my personal standpoint, I know you've been to a lot of games. Your dad has been like a season ticket holder since the early 70s, right? Like, so, yeah, I mean, I don't, I don't know when you started. Yeah, year. That's crazy, man. Like, yeah. I, the first games I went to were in the earlier 80s. Uh, I did get a chance to see, like, you know, the Kiki Vandaway, like that, those installments, and they, they were a lot of fun. I think the best one for me, they were playing the Houston Rockets in one of those typical round twos in the mid-80s, like 86 with the Twin Towers and uh, Elston Turner. I just remember like Elston Turner was the guy who was the like, you know, was the guy who came through in the end with some three pointers in overtime. They didn't really shoot a lot of threes back then, but he hit them. I just remember, you know, Gary Glitter's uh, rock and roll was pounded through. It felt like we were like it was on the verge of being something. Now it's been, what, 30 some years and oh my nothing, God. nothing much has happened, man. I thought for sure, though, at those mo in those moments, we were on the verge of really breaking through. It just never really happened. Yeah, it was a lot of mistakes that because you weren't like a, a big city, the mistakes never became yeah. kind of magnified. Like they made one of the worst trades of the 70s. 
they traded Bobby Jones for That's George right. McGinnis, which was just yes. the classic basketball trade that if it happened now, people would have a fucking stroke. Bobby Jones was like the ultimate <laughs> awesome know. guy to have on your team. Like one of the best defensive forwards, just like all additive. And then McGinnis was this ball stopper. So you had that. You had to trade David Thompson because, you know, he... For Bill Hansley. Pretty, can you believe yeah, that pretty shit? openly had a cocaine problem. Like, there was an SI <laughs> yes. feature about him where they're yeah. just asking him, do you have a cocaine problem? Um, and then some of the draft pick... Mis- you mentioned Chiscavili yeah. and people like that. Yeah. Um, that's why when it seemed like when they when they did the Iverson-Carmelo thing and it was like, ah, oh, this will be weird, but maybe it'll be fun. Yeah. And they were fun. They were both scoring 25. But when they flipped Iverson, really at the tail end of his career in the Billups, yeah. it that's felt when like they there got was good. some momentum. That's when, but that they, was the closest they've ever come was that season. is because Chauncey was in a second stint in Denver. I, it killed me to see him win a title. You know, this is a local kid. He grew up in Denver, yeah. like around the time I did. He was growing up, went to George Washington High School. He should have been the guy. If you're going to have somebody, Mr. Big Shot, you know, he should have been the guy kind of leading them uh, to that title to begin with. He goes to Detroit and wins one, comes back. But I felt like they needed, this was always a problem with Melo. He needed that kind of field general who was going to yep. not take his shit a little bit and and kind of calm him down. That was their best That was their best version until this year, until this recent Jokic stuff. That was the best chance they ever had of winning a title was that was that year with Chauncey there. Well, and then you had two years later, Melo's like, you guys got to trade me. And they're going, no, actually, we don't. And he's like, well, I'm going to sign with the Knicks. It was like, cool. And then it was this staring match for two months that I I never thought reflected well on Carmelo because... He just could have waited to sign with the Knicks, but he it was more money for him if they traded for him. Yeah. So he ends up getting the Knicks to give Can all I, these assets to the Nuggets. And that was another fun Nuggets team. I, I remember I was doing Countdown that year. It was the 56-win Ty Lawson team. Oh, yeah. Iguodala was there, and it was like, oh, what's this? And then they got, they got <laughs> waxed in round one. <laughs> well, let me tell you something, man. Just like being the, like, I think you've kind of nailed it. Like, that Carmelo thing was a very ugly, uh, kind of acrimonious divorce from the Nuggets. And I never felt like he truly embraced Denver anyway. It was always more of an East Coast guy. having gone to Syracuse, all that stuff. New York really wanted him. I felt yeah, like you guys were like a, a way station for him. We were. And La La I saw some girl- article about what happens. Yeah, who do you retire? Number 15, Jokic or Carmelo? I'm like, take a fucking poll of the Nuggets fans. It's going to be 100 to zero for Jokic. No shit. And th- look at the timing of that, too. Like, we finally get into a finals and then they like they throw up all this stuff. I see George Carl on there like hammering, like, who, you know, trying to give Carmelo his respect. It's just the wrong time. This is bad timing for him. But to, to put into perspective what it's like being a Nuggets fan, you get a guy who wants out of town, which we're not unfamiliar with. You know, we've yeah. seen this, this act before, but nobody with as big of a name as Melo you you get a trade, you bring in this haul, and include which included Jamal Murray in the end, by the way. So it all worked out. Right. But like they bring in this haul and they proceed with almost no superstars. They're really no superstars to get 57 wins, which was a franchise record for them with just that, you know, the depth of team. Like they had 10 guys they could roll out there and just keep like having two starting lineups of woodwork figures who were all very good, you know? Yeah. And, Leave it to the Nuggets. Like I felt, I I remember thinking, like, hey, maybe they're gonna show something the NBA hasn't seen, which is that you can win without like these superstars. They go into the playoffs, and of course, this is the beginning of the Steph Curry right. that whole thing. They they run into a buzzsaw, and I, I remember because Golden State lost David Lee uh, in the first game, and I Nets thought, play, oh, start this playing is gonna, Draymond. Yeah, 
And then it was like, this is going to be easy. And then it was just Curry and Thompson killing them from threes. The first time I'd ever seen anything like that. And then they proceeded to do that for the next decade. And then Iguodala ends up on the Warriors. Yep. When I was uh, when I was a kid and I, I love basketball more than anything, and it really wasn't on TV that much, but I knew about Thompson and he had passed through once that Denver came to the ABA, we got to actually see him. And I just had never seen anyone jump like that. His basketball card was cool. Um, Sports Illustrated was covering him. And this guy was Michael Jordan before Jordan for a couple of years there. And you go back and you watch. um, I remember a researcher for my book, though. They they came really close. Um, You could argue that the Portland-Denver series is really fun to watch. But Thompson's like, I think he's like his second year in the league. He's fucking awesome. Yeah. That year um, before he started to have the issues. But you think like you have that, you have Carmelo. It's not like they've never had good players, but True. then Jokic comes in and now Jokic is a top 20 guy. I mean, if they win the title, he vaults into there. We're talking about fun moments though. Like to me, it was that one of those Portland series when they were throwing haymakers and he was so great, um, just oh, like on a bigger stage with Murray. And then it was like, oh, there's something here. And I think that's the last thing we should probably talk about is just, um, the Jokic and Murray thing together, how special yeah. that is. It's so hard, these super teams getting thrown together and these guys that spend two, three years together and that's it. Those guys are so attuned. I was able to, you know, I got to watch that with Bird and McHale in the mid 80s yeah. and I got to watch that um, a little bit with the with the KG Allen Pierce Celtics. By the time they'd been playing together five, six years, there was really like a know-how with those guys. I think the the current Celtics team doesn't really have it as you saw against Miami. <laughs> but that when guys are attuned like that, it's yeah. such an advantage. I don't even know how you put a statistic on it. It's instinctual, right? Like they the way they play and they've been playing together forever. And I honestly believe this is the only way it was ever going to happen from for Denver. It had to be something like what has gone on here, which is that they've parlayed a completely miraculous second round pick into an MVP and then brought in this dude from Canada who everybody knew could play, but somehow has the, you know, chemistry with this big man. And then they, they form this thing like this. Is, well, who, who, by the way, fell to the seventh pick. And if you go back in that draft, yeah. like easily could have gone fourth, fifth, sixth, that and there true. weren't a lot of good picks either way. So that, that was, was lucky too. Yeah. I mean, yeah. you need luck with this stuff and it was a great pick, but that they finally got some luck with two picks. This is true. I mean, I mean, I, I've seen this and I mean, this, this is it's it's been kind of interesting, like the national narrative, because the Nuggets are never in the national, like the true national part of yeah. the national. Narrative. I was thinking about this. I tried. You know, yeah, I know you did. I mean, there's there are certain people who like Zach have tried. Been trying to it tell ba- people. basically Zach and, and some Rosillo. And, yes. And, and I don't know. They, it's not they really just, in the they mainstream. Tune you guys out because you're like, you guys are too deep into the, the league. They're yeah. like, I don't want to hear it. But the, the thing is, I'm like, there are some people, but very few. So it's been kind of amusing, honestly, to watch the dawning again and again of people like, whoa, these this guys. But I mean, their chemistry is ridiculous. There's times, you know, you're just you're watching them instinctually do that two-man game, the little give and goes, setting picks. It's crazy to watch Murray setting picks to spring, you know, Jokic right. through the middle. It's just weird, man. It's like a different brand of basketball. I don't want to... It's crazy to me that you even mentioned like Bird and McHale or something like that because I never thought that they would be able to have a tandem that would do this. And I saw, I believe it was Colin Coward who was saying something along the lines, hey, let's keep in mind that this, if Murray, if uh, if uh, Jokic wins the title this year, he'll be the first to do it without an all-star and, and whatever the whatever the stat was. But I'm I'm thinking, yeah, that's stupid. Murray should be an all-star. 
You yeah. know, like he should be an all star. Like Murray's this one is of the one best twenty five guys in the league. Yeah, exactly. That's... So I, I, it's it's all skewed, and it's the process of discovery for the rest of the country. But th- th- this lineup and like these two guys have been doing it. That bubble run. I don't know how much you were. I know you were paying attention to it, but like I how well it. how well they played there was cathartic. Like watching yeah. Murray come to life and seeing that he was actually as clutch as he was in that Donovan Mitchell series, like with the Jazz, especially like seeing him become so clutch you knew now that yo you already had the idea that Jokic was that good like that he would show up he would be the guy but to see Murray then fill in the blanks around him compliment him on every level I was just like I knew at some point we'd have something but as a as a browbeaten Denver fan I could not shout it from the mountaintops because I was so afraid I would put the old hex on him and that would be that I thought it was hilarious that you sweep the Lakers you win Greatest. these two games in LA against LeBron and Davis, who were fucking healthy, by the way. I mean, LeBron yeah. had had the foot thing, but I watched him play 48 minutes in game four. It, it's hard for me to accept that he was like badly compromised. And <laughs> you win, and it's supposed to be the Joker's moment. And like 20 minutes later, LeBron's like, yeah, I might retire. And everybody's like, whoa, LeBron might retire. Meanwhile, the there's no thing. fucking chance he's going to retire. I, I thought it was a dick move by him, honestly, to to kind of grab some attention for himself, just like pay tribute to Jokic, which he did too in the press conference. Just say, True. that guy's incredible. He's one of the best players I've ever played against. They beat us. We got to go to the, you know, we got to go to the garage and figure some stuff out. But then it turned into a LeBron retirement thing over a, holy shit, Jokic. Where Where is <laughs> he, he going to rank in, in the history? And holy shit, the Nuggets, they've never fucking made yeah. it, you know? And and so I, I don't know. That was kind of a bummer, it but was... I, you'll get your just due. I will say this. You, you're like minus 500 or minus That's, 450, something like that, to win the finals. This is the first time the Nuggets are actually maybe getting a little too much respect. That's true. And I don't like that. I don't like the layoff. Now, you, you can relate to this, too. You remember when the Rockies were in that Rocktober thing? They won all these games. They swept all the playoff teams in, the, in baseball. And then they had to wait for the Boston Red Sox. In 07, yeah. Yeah. And I mean... This has a little bit of that 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 feel where you're like, are they waiting too long? Are they going to show up as the same team? Um, I do feel in my heart of hearts that, that like Jokic won't allow them to do much else than what they've been doing. Because if all goes through yeah. him, I feel like he always shows up. So I feel good about it, but not minus 500 good, man. They just don't, they're not as familiar. I know they've been, they've done well against the Heat in the regular season. They kind of had that bad blood too with the Morris thing. Remember when he knocked over Morris? Oh, yeah. There's some, there's some contention there, which would be fun to see how that like how things are going to play out that way but uh I would I think that the Nuggets should win the series but man I I don't know if it's just because I've seen so much with the Nuggets over the years that you you're skeptical until it actually happens or if it's I don't know what it is but I I think they'll win but I think it's going to be a series I think it'll be like some of these games are going to be very close maybe like go to six games something like that I think you guys are fine. You got home court. You got altitude. You got so, Jokic. Man. It's looking good, so, man. Say hi to you. are probably going to uh, at least one of the games, right? Maybe See, that's that's where Sneaking we're at. In there? Like, so I'm so I, I want to take my son who hasn't been to like this. I've never been to a finals game, and he hasn't been to a playoff game in general. So. I think I'm going to try to head out to Denver for game two. I got I have to see at least one game. I thought about just doing Miami because it's cheaper. Like you could go out to yeah. Miami and do this whole thing cheaper, but I'd rather be around the Nuggets fans, I think. So game right. two is the one we're circling. Well, good luck. Thanks, man. Thanks for coming on, Chef. This episode is brought to you by Duncan. I love Duncan. Duncan just dropped a new kind of energy. They call it sparked energy. I mean, they have peach sunshine. I'm a huge peach guy. 
like peach with drinks, I feel like is one of the most underrated drink combo kind of starter things that we have. Well, in this case, these are delicious. They're packed with caffeine and vitamins and minerals that give me the energy I need to get through the day. And a medium is $3 now through March 19th. So drop by and get sparked by Dunkin'. Sparked energy drinks are fruit flavored, contain 0% fruit juice. Beverages contain caffeine from caffeine and guarana. Participation may vary. Limited time offer, terms apply. This episode is brought to you by LinkedIn Jobs. When you have a good team of skilled, talented people, good things are bound to happen. That's true in sports. It's true in business. It can be true with digital companies or websites, podcast networks. If you're running a small business, one of the best places to look for those people is LinkedIn Jobs. They have what you need to find and hire qualified professionals you can't find anywhere else. And unlike other job boards, LinkedIn Jobs has a vast network of professionals, like more than a billion people. And it makes the whole hiring process intuitive and easy to manage. They're constantly launching new features to help make the hiring process more manageable. They even created a tool to help write job descriptions recently. Over 2.5 million small businesses trust LinkedIn when it comes to hiring and over 86% find a qualified candidate within the first day. Post your job for free at linkedin.com slash Simmons. That's linkedin.com slash Simmons to post your job for free. Terms and conditions apply. This episode is brought to you by Seed. If you're like me, you've probably experimented with things that try to make you feel better. One of those things is probiotics because they really help with digestion. They can help with clarity, all kinds of things. Well, did you know most green powders and probiotics don't survive digestion? Seed's DSO-1 Daily Symbiotic is engineered in a two-in-one capsule to safeguard viability through digestion for complete delivery to your colon. A broad-spectrum probiotic and prebiotic formulated with 24 clinically and scientifically studied strains for whole body benefits, including gut, heart, and skin health, underrated. Visit seed.com slash Simmons and use the code 25SIMMONS to start seeding today. All right, my buddy Nathan Hubbard is here. You can hear him on the Every Single Album podcast with Nora Princiati. You can hear him on Fairway Rolling with Joe House. He is a, I'm going to call you a music business veteran, music industry veteran, even though I'll that's, I always feel like that's insulting. Um, but you've been in the industry for a long time. I was out with some people last night and we were talking about, they're in the music industry, talking about this Taylor Swift tour and that it's actually becoming a cultural phenomenon. And I was like, cultural phenomenon? Like, in what context? Like, Michael Jackson, the 80s level? And they were like, bigger. And I'm like, wait, what? So then I was like, I got to get Nathan. I got to really crack what's going on. <laughs> I just don't, anecdotally in my life, the tour feels like the biggest thing possible. My buddy Jacko, my college roommate, I've had forever, who never asked me for anything. We just talk and he's like, hey, can you help me with Taylor Swift tickets? And I was like, whoa, this is like really becoming a thing. Yeah. Um, the tickets are super expensive. Culturally, she's having a moment. You came on this podcast, I think five years ago, and you were saying you thought she was the biggest star, maybe since Michael Jackson. Set the landscape for us now in 2023. Where are we? What's happening? Well, I thought in Taylor in Taylor's case that in 2015, she had a year that was on par with Elvis Presley in 1956 when he broke on the scene, the Beatles in 64 with Hard Day's Night, Yes, Michael Jackson in 1983. Thriller came out at the end of 82. But 83 is when he did the iconic Billie Jean. He, it's mm. when he put out... It's when he put out... Uh, Thriller, special. the video, everything. Exactly. She, at that point, was breaking all kinds of records. 
now she's broken through and had this moment. And uh, the thing that I pin it to, Bill, is she's actually won over the alpha male. She's had Miles Teller. She's got Jack O asking for tickets. Miles Teller, Top Gun. J.J. Watt releasing videos talking about how he can't believe that she's up there for 44 songs in three this hours is, and 15 that, minutes. What a great threesome that is. Jacko, J.J. Watt, and Miles Teller. <laughs> I, I mean, how often do those three get thrown together? She's got Aaron Rodgers. She's got Mac Jones going to both shows at Foxborough. I mean, she did it. You and I talk about the best stars in music are also the best brand managers in music, right? Sean Carter is the CMO of Jay-Z. Bono is the CMO of U2. Taylor Swift is the CMO and CEO of Taylor Swift, Inc. And she has, in a very intelligent way, broken through that last wall. In 2015, if we went to a Taylor Swift show, you would have had dads who were there with their daughters, moms who were there, who were there with their daughters, their daughters and members of like the LGBTQ community. Now it's everybody. And I, it, look, it started in quarantine with Folklore. That album, which was uh, the Grammy winner for Album of the Year, she is one of only four artists to ever win Album of the Year three times. That is Frank Sinatra, Paul Simon, Stevie Wonder, and Taylor Effing Swift. Wow. And th that album struck a chord with people who were all locked down. It just, it was a moment of authenticity. And it came after what is now, has now ended, which was a six-year relationship that she was in out of the scene of paparazzi. She wasn't getting her picture taken. She kind of killed the drama of, oh, she dates all these boys and writes, writes songs about them. It made her more accessible and more authentic in the eyes of men. And now coming out and touring for the first time since 2017, it's breaking all records. I mean, she effectively broke both the primary and secondary ticketing infrastructure in this country when she put this tour on sale. So two other things. Post-pandemic, Somebody was going to become a phenomenon coming out of the pandemic. So it turned out to be her, but she's probably also the odds on favorite. The other thing, she's been around long enough now that you have, um, so she's getting all the girls, right? She's getting the high school girls and the junior high girls, but she's also getting these young adults who were like eight, nine, 10, 11, when she broke onto the scene, who have been with her now for a generation, who are now people with money people out of college, people who their best friend from junior high and that, oh, we got to go see Taylor or their whole group. So she's hitting basically every demo you'd want to hit, right? Hit. The girl, ladies in their mid twenties with money, dads and daughters, moms and daughters, the OBGTQ community, but then also the, the, the little kids now also coming in. So she's like gaining fans. She's adding. Yeah. Now There's, she's now she's like a behemoth. Th there has never been anybody in the music business who understands the internet the way that Taylor Swift does. She goes into the deep corners of Reddit and participates. She likes things on Instagram from fans. She knows how to mobilize the army that has gotten her to where she is. And then on top of that, she's created a cinematic universe around her that is yeah. an entry point for everyone. That album Folklore was made by Aaron Dessner with The National and Bon Iver, like two high quality icons in the dad rock community. She, <laughs> she, when she did a re-record of her album Red, she had Chris Stapleton 
one of the most authentic, real guys in the country music community. She just had Ice Spice, who is the hottest thing. It's so hard to break an artist right now. If we're going to break one this year globally, it might be Ice Spice. Ice Spice, she just re-recorded a song with uh, Karma. She brought her up on stage for three nights at Giant Stadium in New York. Like She just understands how to bring people into that cinematic universe and to create an on-ramp for everybody. So who are the... Who are the people she learned that from? Well, mostly, mostly rappers, right? Yes, yes, exactly. But she also, I don't, you know, there's there's a very Madonna is a great example of an Madonna's artist who, a good one. who was able to create new chapters and to sort of latch herself onto others. But with this tour in particular, I think there's two people that she learned a lot from. The first was Harry Styles, and she learned from Harry Styles watching him do these mini residencies that fans will pay and travel, that they will come to you. And that's why she hasn't even announced her international date. She's not playing every town. She's posting up in cities and playing stadiums and then moving the show to the next town. It's a lot more cost efficient. It also creates these moments in a city where mayors are bending over backwards in the same way that senators bent over backwards during the ticketing hearings earlier this year. Mayors are bending over backwards to create some new gimmicky Taylor Swift day to just sort of increase the buzz and and you know raise their own standing. But she learned from Harry Taylor Swift up, day. Yeah, exactly. Well she she's used so Harry, she's using yeah. Harry practice Moneyball and then she stole it. That that's it. That's it. But then what she learned from her who appears to be new boyfriend, Matty Healy from the 1975. Oh boy. Controversial. Is, is that uh, you've got to create a show that's not really for the people in the building, but it's for the people on the internet. And that every night there should be some random thing that happens on stage that is worth checking back in for. And in her case, she's got a 44 song, three hour, 15 minute tour. But every night she's going up and playing two songs, just acoustic that are unique to that show. And so every night, the fan base has a reason to check in and see what did she play? Did she bring out a special guest to do them? And so it's creating this online virality that is keeping people paying attention every night. It's a, it's a TV show in a box. I remember you came on. We talked about the shelf life of a star. I don't remember when we did this. It was sometime in the mid-2010s. Like, how long does somebody have before they become less cool and they get replaced by somebody else? This is... We, and we were talking about different examples where, you know, like, you can be a good quarterback for 20 years, right? You could be... LeBron's going to be year 21 next year. If you're in sports, you can last. Comedians, it gets tougher. They mm -hmm. have, like, the 8 to 10-year shelf life. And then if you can make it past that, you're really doing something. Um, the mega stars in pop, the shelf life just isn't there. And this is the one person who we were saying five, six years ago was already like beating the odds. And now how many years are we at now? I mean, your first album came out in 2006. Yeah, so we're almost, this is like a LeBron-like run. <laughs> like, no, it, Nora, Nora, who grows up, your co-host for every single album, who grows up as a Taylor Swift fan, and now as an adult living in New York City and, you know, has, has kind of grown up with her in a real way. Yeah. She went to the show in New York the other night and texted me, I've cried seven times. And it was like, 
20 songs in. We were halfway through the set. But yeah, I mean, this is... Look, she is the only artist to have five albums open with over a million copies sold. She's the only artist to have 200 million Spotify streams in one day. With this last album, Midnight, she occupied the entire top 10 of the Billboard Hot 100. All 10 songs were hers. She's got 10 albums right now in the top 100 albums on the Billboard Jesus. 200 chart. It's just unprecedented stuff. And the only question for me is... Uh, is is it sustainable? Is there a pendulum swing back? And now that she's single and back out in New York mm. with paparazzi photos running around with a bad boy rock star, this sounds very, very much like the mid 2010s, <laughs> the John Mayer stuff and the, you know, over Calvin Harris and again and again and again. It's helped propel her fame. But one thing about this woman that people forget is that she was a child star. And you and I have spoken about this a million times over, that in so many cases, when people become famous, what happens? They get frozen in the age right. where they were famous. And so here she is back on the market after being uh, you know, in a relationship for six, six years. Here come more of the rumors. Here comes more of the social buzz. In the short run, it's definitely helping propel her fame. The question is, in the long run, is this is this a tragedy or a comedy in terms of her personal life? For those or of another, us who like her music, it's it can be great because the it's fodder for a song. Or another great career move. Well, maybe she was like, you know, what would be a good next boyfriend for me is the, oh no, my fans are going to be so worried if I date this guy boyfriend. Yeah, and this and would be like six to nine months of them just really being worried that. Oh my God, she's she's got to break up with him. He's not good for her, and then it'll lead to a good album. That's what's happening. And there's weird shit going on. Like she mouthed the same words. This song is about you. You know who you are. I love you. That Maddie Healy had mouthed at the camera on stage like a week earlier. There, there, there feels to be some uh, very uh, delicate coordination and choreography happening here that has oh. led some to think that maybe this is a rehearsed, uh, you know, plan thing. But there's a lot of people who are also saying they've had a crush on each other for 10 years. They were caught wearing each other's shirts at 10 years ago. Who knows? Why do I know this? But th this is, this is, we're back to the, we're back to the Taylor Swift relational drama. And it, to your point, it's great. I don't think she needs it for her career is the thing. Her career is yeah. doing just fine. So, you know, the hottest take would be, I think she's going to get married before Christmas. I think if it's oh, wow. real, maybe she's just taking the gloves off. She's done with, you know, she, she spent six years with a guy. She just put out a song last week called You're Losing Me, clearly about the relationship. In it, she says, I wouldn't marry me either, which oh, is boy. a very brutal thing to say out loud. Uh, and if this is a real thing, maybe she's married by Christmas. Who knows? So... On a scale of one to Britney shaving her head at the Lemertage <laughs> in 2005. <laughs> I was so there. From a concerned scale, we're only at like a three still. Yeah, we're only at a three. I mean, I when she was first coming up, her dad would call me and she was playing, oh, she was opening country shows in amphitheaters around the country. And he would call me incessantly and tell me, sure as Sunday, my daughter's going to be a star. These are all the things that are wrong. You're not selling the merch in the right way. And the food should be this. And here's how you should... And I used to take the call and, and, I, and, and he was right. And so I, I, I listened to him, but he understood so fundamentally the essence of what it took for an artist to be successful. And 
this runs through her body. She yeah. is the best CEO, I think, in the history of the music business. And so every time something new that feels like a zig or a zag happens, I'm always mindful she knows what she's doing. So the Harry Styles piece of this, where he has this big tour and it becomes kind of a thing, yeah. right? For yeah. I don't know, six, seven months. I was surprised by how much of a thing it became. But I wonder, like, did did she go into psycho competitive gear when she saw like the Harry Styles stuff? I like, think oh, really? We're going nuts about Harry Styles now? Watch this. I think it's a fair question to ask. They've now traded you know, Grammy Album of the Year wins, Harry Styles won uh, just this past year. I, I Here's what I would say. I saw, I'm sure that she watched that Harry tour and thought about how to, how to create residencies. Harry has been touring a lot. And Harry's show has been the same every single night until recently, where he has started playing a broader variety of his old One Direction songs. Uh, I'm pretty sure that that was him looking over his shoulder and saying, the Taylor surprise song thing is working. Let's interject a little bit of random variety into each night's show so that there's something for the kids to go back to to the internet and to TikTok and look and try to find the moment from last night. It keeps you relevant as you continue to go out and play what is effectively the same show. By the way, why did it take till 2023 for people to realize this? It's not fucking rocket science. Like do two new things in each show. And then especially in the social media era, like, oh my God, I can't believe Taylor Swift played Better Man. Yeah, I mean, look, you and Whoa. I have been watching Pearl Jam do this forever, Dave Matthews Band, or yeah, where they they it's a different. It started with the Grateful Dead, totally different set every night, and so that's why people would come out and go to multiple shows. Harder to do in the high dollar production environment that is these tours, like Taylor Swift. It, it, this concert, well, that's is why a she does show. it acoustic, right? Yeah, it, there's exactly there's this whole video screen that is the entire stage. I mean, it is incredible to watch, and if you're in the upper four hundred level, it's a totally different show than if you're in the 100 level around the bowl. Totally different show than if you're in the, on, in the floor. You can't even see the stage if you're on the floor. You're just looking at her. So there's multiple ways to experience the show. But yes, you're exactly right. Her ability to play guitar and piano on her own and to sort of create that intimacy within a song makes it possible for her to do that night in, night out. All right. So if she's Tom Brady, this is now like her Tom Brady somewhere between Super Bowl fifth one and the sixth one. There's some good Tom Brady parallels with her, actually, where she wins early, but doesn't really, that people always think, oh, the different people are better. Yeah, and as soon as she's the off the market, going. everybody starts, as soon as she's back on the market, everybody starts linking her with <laughs> right. everybody possible. But there's always a better QB. This guy's better, that guy's better. And then yeah. Brady has the second run. And people stop and go, wait a second, what? So who's Harry Styles in this analogy? Joe Burrow. Joe Burrow. Yeah, he's he's the coolest. Everybody thinks he's cool. I was thinking more of Matt Ryan. <laughs> oh no. I think that's a that's a disservice to Harry. Because ha Harry's like you, you can't underestimate Aaron the Rogers? power of the wonder. Well, no, he's he's not quite as weird as Aaron. Maybe no, because he hasn't won enough MVPs yet. It's all could be. You know, he's got 
He's got an MV. He's got a he's got a Super Bowl appearance, which is the Grammy album win. He's got a very very big powerful fan base that he's pulling in from even like Joe Burrow's pulling fans in from outside football. Harry's sort of pulling in people from outside the universe. Mahomes? He's got he's got the moms. He might be Mahomes? Mahomes. He might be Mahomes. The only difference is it's not clear to me how much of a songwriter Harry Styles really is versus the greats that you and I put up on that pedestal. Taylor Swift has a catalog of over 200 songs where if you walked into a restaurant or a grocery store, you're likely to hear any of those 200 songs. Harry Styles not there yet, and he hasn't penned them all. He's worked with a lot of songwriters to get him there. So it's not clear that he has the McCartney, Stevie Wonder, Paul Simon, Taylor Swift-esque gene. Definitely doesn't have the, should I be in this movie gene? (laughs) (laughs) Well, he's available. (laughs) Maybe when it that that uh that terrible Olivia Wilde movie that my daughter claims to like for some reason. Yeah, I, and, which and I don't listen, know how I he, feel about that. He he's gravitated he's he he's gravitated to Emily Ratajkowski apparently now. So uh his personal life, wow. to be honest, is a bit more intriguing than Taylor's if you're into that sort of thing. So Taylor, the Taylor fans who I think are a ten out of ten on on most rabid fan base. Yes. Notice how I didn't call them crazy. I called them rabid, passionate. Yeah, that, that, that's right. It, it's them crazy. The they might have taken personally. It's them, the Beehive uh, with Beyonce and BTS fans. But I really do believe that Taylor's are the most. Sh- she is the general of that army. So you do this podcast where you break down every single Taylor Swift album, and then at some point the Taylor community kind of accepted the podcast, right? They even like shared some links and. Yeah, they became were, they, a, a little bit of a thing with the Taylor people, but Taylor has never come on the podcast, even though Taylor, it'd be a great career move. <laughs> it would. Taylor has not come on. The, yeah, the, the, she needs she needs that career help. Yeah, no, the fan base has been amazing. But but going back to what you were saying before, how she's the CEO, she's aware of everything. Like, how aware is she? Like, do you think she knows about that podcast? Yes, I know she knows about that podcast. Do you think she reads? Like different things. Like there was a there was a New Yorker piece about the lead singer from 1975 that she may or may not be in a serious relationship with. Do you think she reads that? Do you think she's one of those, I don't want to know anything, keep me out of this? Or is she like secretly at two in the morning, like on Reddit? It's not even secret. She is so deep in the weeds of what is said about her from the fan base, but also from the outside. To this day, she is on the internet when she's done. I mean, I, she had, I can tell she had Marcus Mumford as her first guest in Las Vegas. He came up and sang the song Cowboy Like Me during those surprise songs. She was texting him into the night about the fan reaction. She goes in and experiences it. It's like any great CEO. She's in touch with the customer base with her finger on the pulse of how they're feeling. She has absolutely read that article. She goes in and favorites somebody with three followers who says something funny about the show. She pays attention. I mean, here's the latest example. The fan base complained. She put out a song, Snow on the Beach, on this last album, Midnight's, with Lana Del Rey. It said, featuring Lana Del Rey. If you listen to the song you got to really squint to pick up that Lana's even on it. She's almost not present. That's how I always feel about Lana Del Rey, but go ahead. Fair enough. Last Friday, Taylor released a song, Snow on the Beach, featuring more Lana Del Rey. That's what it was called. So she literally listened to the fan base say, hey, why isn't there more Lana? Grabbed Lana, went back into the studio and redid it. This is wow. what she does. It, it is, in many ways, wonderfully crazy. 
Jesus. So this is now the year of, of Taylor Swift and AI and Nikola Jokic. <laughs> it is. It is. And let's, and hope that they all, let's hope that they all aren't linked in some capacity in, in page six before this is all said and done. But and Brooks you know, Kepka, your guy, he's back. He is back. I'm thrilled. Let's go. We got U.S. Open in two weeks. He won, he won the French Open of golf, the PGA <laughs> Championship, which I barely acknowledge. Um, but that we actually have the U.S. Open here on our home turf. We are. And I think we're going to go see a little bit of it, Bill. Our, okay. As you know, I'm available. I love <laughs> nothing more than hanging out in one of those golf places that just has drinks and, uh, and pigs in a blanket, watching golfers walk by. One That's of my favorite plan. things to do. Love that. That's the I have, I have a nice, nice uh, short sleeve vest. I think House, when we were at the Masters, House did the, um, the golf shirt with the vest over it that I've now adopted as my, uh, as my, my dad look. I'm going to be the dad of Taylor Swift with the, with the vest on, with the polo shirt underneath it, and I'm just gonna. I don't have young kids anymore. I'm just gonna have to borrow somebody else's nine year old kids. Drinking ranch waters and eating pigs in a blanket. I love it. I like that you care the same about all of this as you do about the fall of the uh, Clippers, which you've had to experience with your son. It's been horrible. You've been texting me about all of the things that I should be worried about. You tried to convince me to go in on season tickets. I rejected your offer outright. You did. You just rejected it. <laughs> I know too much about the secondary market, but it is I'm a in, good deal. I, I, I'm I think in for you five should. years in, in the new are. arena, and I don't, I'm not even sure what happened. Well, I I'm love there the to Clippers. see the other teams. I love the Clippers. I I actually love a number of the people involved in the organization. I just don't get down there enough, but I will go to many games, Bill. I don't know. Well, the coach is definitely coming back. I don't know where all of those stories came from, but they're not letting go of their good coach. So that's not happening. Um, I'm not. It'll be interesting to see if Balmer cares about the second apron, this new salary cap thing that just demolishes people that spend too much money. The real question is how much longer do you want to go with Kawhi and Paul George and do those guys even have market value if you decide not to? We will see. I think the real question is whether this arena that he's building, which he has traveled around the world, capturing all kinds of ideas about how to make the fan experience amazing, will be equally great for music. Because if it is, it's going to shake up the scene in Los Angeles. It's going to pull concerts away from downtown LA. It could dramatically shift the landscape of music in our hometown. Yeah, it feels like they have crossed a lot of T's and dotted a lot of I's with some of the stuff people are worried about. And it's yes. a way smaller arena than the football stadium. Look, So if, maybe it will yes. be easier to get in and out of. If you're, if you're a sports fan, all you can hope for is that you have an owner with I don't give a fuck money who's going to yeah. do whatever it takes to, to win. And in some cases, that can be a little uh, catastrophic. See... Uh, Mr. Cuban, but in other cases, it can be heartwarming. And I do think that, uh, I do believe that, that well, Steve listen, Ballmer is going to figure it out. We live in a world where the Cronkies are four Nuggets wins away from winning the title in three different sports in the span of like 18 months. It's, like it's That's a, a thing that's going to happen. It is an unbelievably under-celebrated thing about what they have done for their franchises. Because the problem is Stan Kroenke, not like a good self-marketer, doesn't care. No, doesn't want to be out there. He's doesn't want to be that wants wants no part of anything. Like, no. can you imagine if Joe Lacob owned teams that won titles in three different sports? We'd never hear the end of it. 
or pick any other owner. I mean, it's amazing that they've laid back. You would think they took a lot of shit about, especially like the Arsenal piece of it. And yes. the stadium cost. Josh what, was beat two, up. Two, three times as more as than they thought yeah. it was going to cost. Absolutely. And and the, the St. Louis stuff and they have. Yeah, that uh, wasn't great. No, Mr. Cronkey is as uh, humble and yeah, laid back a human being. And that's, that's, he's a long-term patient investor. That's how he made his fortune. And that's how he runs his teams. He hires people who he trusts and plays for the long run. And, and they've done it the right way. That's like in, uh, what's that called? The EGOT? Yeah. When he won the Emmy, Tony, Oscar. <laughs> yes. And, uh, Grammy. What's, and Grammy. This is like three out of the four team sports is kind of an EGOT. I don't know what the fourth would be. I guess it would be the, the Premier League. Yeah, and they almost won the Premier League this year. They fell just short. They had a good chance to go win it. Crazy. Nathan Hubbard, we can hear you on Fairway Rolling uh, as we head toward the U.S. Open and every single album as well. When does Taylor Swift come here? August uh, 3rd to the 8th. She's playing five nights at SoFi Stadium. Not a mistake, not a coincidence, because BTS currently holds the record with four nights at SoFi Stadium. I feel like this is really stealing attention from the Doobie Brothers 50th anniversary tour or that Tommy kid. Johnston had to had to uh, leave recently because of health issues. <laughs> our, our Counting Crows show that we're going to next week. It's it. The, the Doobies are down to Michael McDonald, Patrick Simmons, and uh, and one other guy. They're just cranking out 50 years of hits. Taylor Swift demolishing them. Uh, Nathan, good to see you. Thanks, Bill. All right, that's it for the podcast. Thanks to Joe House and Raheem Palmer and Nathan Hubbard and Chuck Mindenhall. Thanks to Kyle Creighton for producing. Thanks to Steve Cerruti as well. Don't forget, new rewatchables coming on Friday. We're doing a Bond movie. Get ready. And then I will see you back on this feed on Sunday night. Enjoy the rest of the week. Congratulations in advance to my beloved daughter, Zoe Simmons, who's graduating high school tomorrow. This is a legitimate sad Bill Simmons. Celtics one was like, whatever we lost. This is high school graduation, different animal. Anyway, congrats to her and everybody from the class. And I will see you here on Sunday. This episode is brought to you by Lululemon. Guys, if you're ready for a new pair of pants, try one of Lululemon's ABC pants. They're made to make you look and feel good. And there's lots of different styles to choose from. My favorite, because I walk around LA every day, I like the joggers. I'm not jogging, I'm just walking fast. But if you're working out, I would try them out. And if you want something a little sleek, maybe business-like, maybe try the ABC slim fit trouser. But I am a joggers guy. I just... Once COVID happened, I was just like, I'm, I want to wear jogging pants and joggers and all kinds of soft pants as much as I possibly can, especially when I'm working out. Ultra comfortable and versatile ABC pants are really in a league of their own. Buy a pair right now at lululemon.com.